does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Welcome into the Drive Hubler.com studios. It is the fan midday show with Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison in the building as well. A lot to unpack from, I think, the most I've chuckled through a couple of those opening audio clips. You heard from Pacers head coach Rick Carlisle. You heard from Hoosiers head coach Mike Woodson. We'll start with the Pacers. The exceptional return of Tyrese Halliburton. For the Pacers last night, a massive impact right out of the gate in this one for him. Finishes with 26 points along with 12 assists, so a double-double out of the gate. You could tell just in general, BK, when we were wondering over the last 10 games, it's Halliburton, but is that all that's missing from this team? Like, is that... The only thing, or is there more? No, you know, at this point, I think you could say, yeah, it was Halliburton. Like, at least from an offensive perspective, yeah, they definitely missed him. Uh, he admitted it as much post game, which, you know, tipped the cap to him to have that kind of outing to begin with, but also his honesty about his game. He said he played awful in the fourth. Didn't look great in the fourth. And that's, you know, to be expected. You expect there'd be some rust, there'd be some struggles there. Uh, ultimately, a lot of different reasons why the Pacers lost this game. Your initial takeaways from. What's a tough one the day after, but one that you can probably look back on in two, three weeks is hopefully, uh, yeah, that was the loss out of the gate when Halliburton returned, but now here we are in a winning seven of ten stretch upcoming. Jimmy, I was in the building last night, and that first half mesmerized me. That was the best first half I saw this team play all year, personally. Now, I haven't been at the road games. Um, I'm sure you can think of one, two, or three games where they played a solid first half. What are you doing? (laughs) Eddie Garrison is maneuvering around the studio, just trying to get the stream right. Nice job, Eddie. I'm sure you could pinpoint a couple games that you could say, all right, it's a pretty good first half. But last night, Jimmy, first half, you shoot 54%. The Lakers made two threes in the first half. Two. Six for the whole game, which is just Six insane. Wild. <laughs> Russell Westbrook, that jump shot. And they he, won. He, <laughs> Russ was two of 16, 0 of 5 from three at 10 points. And I do like the look where they have Westbrook lead that second unit, but Pat Beverly didn't do anything worth note. Dennis Schroeder didn't do anything of note. Uh, Anthony Davis got cooking as the game went along. Took 27 shots, by the way. And, and and then LeBron was quiet in the first half. So the fact that you did what you did offensively in half number one, you played really, really solid defense. Out of the gate, Halliburton looked healthy. Elbow didn't seem to be a problem. Talking with Scott Agnes last night before the game, Scotty was saying it was more so the elbow and not the knee, which is what we heard from Tyrese anyway. So first half, Jimmy, if you're taking moral wins, and, and moral wins I'm not that big of a fan of, but if you're taking instances where you're like, all right, we did something good here. First half was terrific. Second half, Eddie Garrison, great point before he went off the air. It, it was Indiana Hoosiers, Maryland 2.0, but at the NBA level. Pacers kept chucking it. Lakers got aggressive. They started going to the rack, started getting fouled, free throw discrepancy, whatever. But 
look, Jimmy, you've lost 11 of your last 12. We knew at some point there was going to be a bumpy ride this year. We're in it. But if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, that was a pretty good game. And you have to look at it of the lens of the positive takeaway that you have Halliburton back, right? Like, I'm not saying that this isn't the NFL. And oftentimes, fans of NBA teams, they forget that. Like, they say, oh, yeah, we know. Yeah, no way. Of course it's not the NFL. Thanks for reminding us. But the point there is that there are so many games over the course of the season. That's not to say each one doesn't matter because I am in the boat of and there's a couple other people that feel the same way. I think you're in that camp as well. Yes, I value a game in November just as much as I do a game in April because you could say, oh, the games really matter in April. Well, yeah, had you won a couple more in November, you have a little bit less pressure on yourself towards the back end of the season. So that's not my overall point. My overall point is that it's so easy to have knee-jerk reactions to one game and that's not to say we can't be upset about it. Like, yeah, I would have liked them to be more aggressive against this Lakers team. I feel like they got bullied a little bit in that second half. Particularly look at how the game flow went and the fact that this was not a normal NBA box score in a win for a team. You mentioned the two three-pointers in the half. They only hit four. In the second half, Pacers hit, what, 16? Like, it, that's not a modern NBA win. It was a grinded 16 out. threes and Buddy Heald was relatively quiet. Yeah. Buddy only, only had two threes. So uh, Aaron Neesmith was fantastic, by the way. There's a lot of things you can point to from the Pacers' overall performance where you can look at, okay, that's probably an anomaly. Particularly, not the number of threes they hit, but who was hitting those threes. Like, okay, it was a quiet night, that's fine. There's other areas where the team stepped up late. I'll ask you this, which again, I know this is the national media, so I'm falling into this trap, but I want to get your thoughts on it. If you were somebody that didn't watch the game last night, which I didn't get a chance to watch all of it live, I had to go back and rewatch some of it and look at the highlights online. The push notification from NBA last night, or from ESPN, I beg your pardon, was... AD owns Indiana. Anthony Davis completes Lakers comeback with clutch basket before an even more clutch block to beat Pacers 112 to 111. If that hit your phone last night, you'd probably feel a little bit worse about it than you realize the last line 112 to 111. It was a very competitive game against the Lakers team that even though they're at the bottom of the West in terms of play-in, they're not the very bottom, right? They're not a lottery. Well, they're, they're floating, right? They're not in the play-in yet, but they're right there. And they've looked a lot better their last seven or eight games. That, that's a very misleading headline in terms of what transpired last night. Also, did you see Skip Bayless's tweet before the game? No, I don't. All caps. <laughs> Skip, Skip Bayless. Will LeBron right his wrong against Indiana tonight? Now on Undisputed. I don't know if he righted his wrong against the Pacers. Or really, I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know what it means either. All right, Skip. <laughs> As Shannon Sharp would say. Yeah, okay, uh, Skip. No, I, I here. here's my main takeaway, Jimmy, from last night. I had never seen LeBron James live. I had never been to that high profile. Uh, let, let me correct myself. I've never covered that high profile of a Pacers game. I was here. I went to a game when I was in college. Harden and the Rockets were in town like during their peak days. Hard drop 46. It was just a spectacle. Sure. But I'd never been around that avenue of sports where here's all the ESPN people. Here's all the cameras following LeBron. He, there were Japanese media there because Rui Hashimura yep. is now on the Lakers. Yep. And I mean, they were out and about. So, And then I went into the media room, which is where I usually grab my little pregame drink and snack. There was the LeBron press table and like eight rows of chairs of 10 because they needed a separate room to have LeBron's press conference. And they put it in the big media lunchroom, which was crazy to look at after the game because all these people, 
Like you get to two minutes left in the fourth quarter, everybody goes downstairs to grab a seat just to hear LeBron speak. So, right. yeah, I I never been around that Jimmy. That was at times weird. Like LeBron walks out, there's twelve rows deep of kids at the tunnel with jerseys and signs and autograph stuff, and I I just can't imagine being so consumed by the public like that. Like here I am on the baseline with AC and Scott Agnes and other. Local media people, that, like I said, the Japanese media was there, the national media, all standing on the baseline watching this guy shoot. Uh, it, it was, I, I don't even know how to describe it, Jim. It's so unique. I'd never been around such a polarizing athlete in that sense where he's getting booed by people 15 rows up. Yep. Kids are screaming his name like, LeBron, I skipped school today to come see you uh, because we're from Michigan or whatever. So uh, you are much more of a LeBron fan than I. Uh, you're much more of an NBA guy sure. than I, but just seeing that up close for the first time, really, really interesting. Look, I, 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 and I don't like, I don't go into that too much publicly because I know the pulse of the Pacers fan base and much like it, it's at a totally different level because of social media and the way everything's covered now, but much like, and the Pacers are primarily of those nineties teams, right? The Knicks, the biggest foe, but there were a couple times where they ran into the bulls. Uh, most notably when Reggie got into underneath uh, MJ's skin and he came at him like uh, but you look at the second generation of Pacers fans that I've been alive and that's been their boogeyman there have been some great series when they've met in the playoffs when he was in the Eastern Conference but he always got through he was always a impeding object in their way that and the fact that again he's probably one of the most polarizing because social media, you have to add things. And I'm sure there's basketball historians or or fans of, of the older NBA that would disagree with this statement. But just me personally growing up around it and being on social media all the time, it is it's a different burden on athletes to the point that, yeah, I'm like you. That's one night in Indiana. That's LeBron James 24-7 during the NBA season. And probably a little bit included there whenever he's trying to. But that's a superstar rife. Like No one feels bad for him. I'm not trying to paint it that way my overall point is though yeah that's that that's life in the nba right now particularly with the record that he's chasing so that's a great perspective on your part of being there of being on the front lines i forgot about the fact that there'd be some um contingent the japanese media now with hachimura because i know it was obviously there in in dc and now wherever he's going within um the lakers road trips and yeah i mean that that's the global game right now like that's still the lakers I, I, it would have been an interesting question to ask him if I had the opportunity of like, how, how much more publicly are you being covered now that you're a Laker as opposed to a Wizard? Oh, I'm sure. Right? It, because it yeah. has to be new for him, yeah. too. But also looking at tonight, Jimmy, it, it's a back-to-back. The Kings are in town. DeMontis Sabonis is back. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, as you heard Rick Carlisle say at the top of the show, not playing. And Eddie, you said he's having his wife's having a baby yeah he and his wife are welcoming in their first child i believe well good for him awesome. well maybe that'll be better for the pacers honestly that they can <laughs> break the skid uh bonus yeah no kidding because i mean he was snubbed from the all-stars so he would have yeah an angry deer in fox he would have went Ooh, off boy. but here's the dichotomy of tonight jimmy so you play the lakers last night and all the prowess of lebron james and the lakers fans every time jimmy that the lakers made a bucket the Lakers fans in the building sometimes were louder than Pacers fans, especially well, that's why early. It's gotten previous Pacers mad. Yeah. Paul George, I remember, said, oh, man. Yeah. So was, they beat, they beat uh, 
a LeBron team at some point uh, during the PG era, and I believe it was Paul George. Maybe I'm misquoting this. Could have been Old Depot, but it was something to the effect of, "Oh man, uh, that was really tough getting a win on the road tonight." Yeah, like, yeah. because yeah, that's just it, it was Curry, crazy. LeBron, you name it, you're gonna hear. Because they're the superstars of the league. But, yeah. anyway, go on. but that's not to say that it wasn't a good crowd. It was a good crowd. People got into it late. It was lit down the stretch. I mean, people were really about it. But early on, when AD made his first bucket, when LeBron made his first bucket, that place got loud. But here's the dichotomy, Jimmy. Last night, you played a Lakers team that is not even in the play-in. However much of the crowd were Lakers fans, people were screaming their heads off. Tonight, the number three team in the West comes in, and there will be none of that. Absolutely zero. Yeah. So, yeah. I but mean, when, you, when you think about the weekend, who who comes to mind as the better team? Usually, the Lakers probably on a on a yeah. Thursday night, not the Kings on a Friday night. But that's directly the opposite. This is technically the harder game. Yeah. I mean, it's been everybody talks about winning that trade and that it was a win win for both teams. But yes, you plug Sabonis in there and just the overall play of the Kings. Obviously, not having Fox there will be tough. But Harrison Barnes. Keegan Murray, DeMontis Sabonis, as good a trio as you're going to find at any night, let alone when you take Fox out there. Obviously, they're going to have to step up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it. it is shocking that that is the flip of the script here that a team that's so low in the standings, but it's also the Lakers versus the Kings, and it's LeBron James versus, even though De'Aaron Fox ascension continues, it's LeBron James versus anybody on the Kings roster in terms of star power and pull power. That's just the nature of the beast. But anyway, Pacers last night, larger point in that regard, the fact that Halliburton came back and did what he did, particularly from an offensive standpoint, just from a motor standpoint as a whole, I was super impressed with uh, the way he's handled himself throughout uh, just post-game media availability and the honesty uh, just up there talking about becoming an all-star, uh, talking about, again, we mentioned it just a few minutes ago, but his struggles in the fourth, like, yeah, that's, that's if I'm in that coaching staff, yeah, no sweat. We clean it up, we go look at the film, we dive in. I'm not saying it's an automatic win against the Kings by any means, but yeah, you come in, you reset, you get another game under your belt, you get your sea legs back. I overall pretty impressed with what happened, minus the fact that, yeah, they got clamped a little bit in the second half and they settled and Lakers were the aggressors. Regardless if you're on the camp of, because that's the old adage, oh, they shot so many more free throws than us. Okay, yeah, probably did. And yeah, what was it, 18 or nothing or whatever Carlisle said? Yeah, that's, you're not going to see a disparity like that very often, but also if you're, if you're settling for jump shots, if you're not getting in the, aggressive drives or being the more physical team more often than not in crunch time that's still going to be rewarded and yeah you move on and you're happy that you have everybody back at full strength Eddie Garrison you were talking about before the show that you thought the second half last night it looked a lot like Indiana Hoosier-esque no yeah that fourth quarter specifically because you hear Rick Carlisle talk about the free throw disparity when you look at the breakdown of those Indiana shots, exactly 50% of those came from behind the arc. They were 3 of 11 inside the arc, 3 of 11 outside the arc. So that's telling me that there's a lot of settling for jump shots. And if you're going to settle for jump shots in the NBA, you're not getting fouled. The Lakers in that fourth quarter, like Rick Carlisle said, they put their head down, they went straight out the basket, and every time they drew contact, they got a foul. Pacers really did not do that. And Eddie Gill talked about that uh, during the radio broadcast last night in the fourth quarter was that you know, the the free throw disparity in the fourth quarter was alarming because the Indiana Pacers just stopped being aggressive and driving towards the basket. And when they did, they got their shot recycled by Anthony Davis. So it deterred them from trying to stay aggressive. But if you're a professional team like that and you see the other team getting 
contact and fouls like the like they are, then you still need to keep going at the basket, even though sure there's a premier shot blocker inside, but you had success all night attacking the basket and kicking out for open threes. I don't I just don't know why they went away from it. You know what was a turning point? Aaron Neesmith getting fouled on a three, making it, and it was a four point play. I feel like the Lakers completely tightened up after that. I really thought that Isaiah Jackson dunk at the end of the third quarter yeah. would kind of, you know, carry over into the start of the fourth in terms of the momentum for the Pacers, but it really didn't. Hmm. Are we all in agreement in that front, though? No no real concerns where things are at right now. I mean, there's no. a couple things to clean up from that game, but you have Halliburton back. The Kings are going to be another tough test. We talked about it, that the schedule is what it is at this point. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a tough grind the next four. I wouldn't it's tough for me to say that to start the year, the Suns would you know be a winnable game for the Pacers, but the Suns have not been what they've shown the last two seasons. But before that happens, host the Kings, host the Cavs, travel to Miami, and then next Friday, you host the Suns. So there's opportunities to get back on track. They're still in a, in a decent spot in the standings, but it also depends on when I say, hey, relax, if you're a Pacers fan, it also depends on where your expectations are for this team, no? I will say yes, but they <laughs> they have to they have to figure out what they're going to do uh, at the five, not with Miles, but they got to decide who they're playing because Daniel Tice made his debut last night. I think Daniel Tice could be a great asset defensively, but Jalen Smith was a DNP last night. Isaiah Jackson had that ferocious dunk. And by the way, that was a lot of Mark Boyle in you, Eddie Garrison. You said recycled on the shot. Well done. Nicely done. Uh, (laughs) But they got to figure out what they're doing, Jimmy, because they have all these bigs that now that Miles has signed his extension, a couple of those guys, especially Jalen Smith and Goga Batadze, seem a lot more disposable. If they want to trade Daniel Tice, if Daniel Tice playing... Yesterday and into this weekend is a lot about the Pacers kind of opening a tryout for him, sort of like what happened with Tristan Thompson last year. You're like, why is Tristan Thompson playing in a Pacers uniform? As fun as that week was, you're like, oh, okay, so it was trying to get into a contender. Daniel Tice has been around this team since he arrived, be it he just started fully practicing recently, but it's a little bit different than that Thompson situation. He seems to be engrossed with this team, the way he acts around them personally so they got to figure out what they're doing Jimmy because Jalen Smith is not playing it's been a disappointing first half quite frankly for Jalen Smith and then Goga Batadze is completely irrelevant right now so if they truly want to upgrade especially at the four because that's what Kevin and Jake were talking about recently that that seems like as Kevin put it the missing ingredient a, a true stretch four that can make threes play good defense the, the, there's what you can Figure out, Jimmy, which one of those guys to the five in that plethora of options that you have can you use to upgrade the four? Well, you got three games in, in six days to figure that out. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I know that, that's, that's the boat you're that, in. Right that's now. the choice. Yep. that's the choice because it just doesn't make sense, Jimmy. Down the stretch, Goga Batadze is, by all accounts, just a cheerleader on the end of that bench right now. I I would like to see Jalen Smith more, but if you're going to play Tice and you still got to get Isaiah Jackson minutes, Jimmy, I just don't know what happens. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, and Eddie, you're probably going to be, not that BK might not have the answer, but I'm going to lean on you here. In the press conference or in the announcement of when they 
had reached an agreement with Jalen Smith. Wasn't it kind of perceived, and maybe they actually came out and outright said it, that he was going to have a starting spot on this team? Yeah. So, like, again, things change, right? Like, Especially in this league. Yeah, Rick Carlisle, by all means, is allowed to, oh, this lineup works better, this is a better starting unit, but I don't know. I've been disappointed with what that's turned into in terms of Jalen Smith here in, in Indiana. And because again, if you're not going to play Jalen Smith, Goga Batadze has no role, no role. I don't even know if you could get something for him, Jimmy. But he is a former first round pick, so maybe somebody is willing to give up an asset, or that's a start of a package to somebody. So you think that it? And I don't, I don't disagree with you, but you think that that is right now a Tice that you're trying to, or maybe maybe everybody. Right? I like it's, Daniel. T- if you're serious about this rebuild being ahead of schedule quote-unquote, Daniel Tice is a great piece for you. Because if you are truly, Jimmy, and, and I use that in quotations, if you are ahead of schedule and everybody in the organization believes that, that means, of course, that you are going to be a playoff team sooner than you thought you'd be. Maybe even this year, if you get back on track. And maybe your playing team, whatever. Um, if you are ahead of schedule, you're going to the playoffs sooner which would mean a player like Daniel Tice can help you because you need a guy like that in the play. You need a bruiser, and that's what he is. I mean, the guy plays great defense. I realize he did not score last night. He played a limited amount of minutes. I, If you were a playoff team sooner than you thought you'd be, I would rather have a Daniel Tice than a Jalen Smith. You're looking at a difference, and again, this really, I don't know how much it actually matters, but you're looking at trade machine. Well, no, I... I, I, I you thought I was going to say wins, and I was going to say for, <laughs> I'm going to look at the money. You're going to difference of four million dollars, give or take four and a half between Tyson Smith. Obviously, Smith just signed that extension, and it was obviously a very team friendly deal. So it's hard to like gauge that in terms of. That's not what I'm saying for talent. I'm just talking about cap hit. And then Goga, I mean, I don't even know what last you get year. For him. This is last year, yeah. so it's like, and and honestly, that'd be that a point, real shame if you just let him walk. I, if Not to say if, I want him back. If there's no interest, right? I mean, it's... But that'd be a tied. real shame. Yeah, it would be. No, no, no doubt. That'd be a real no shame, especially when you look at those couple years of first-round picks. It's in the past, baby. Who tried to move uh, on? I get it. <laughs> Jimmy, I, I get it, but it was great. You, you signed Miles to the extension, uh, but that that's just an utter failure if Goga walks out of Indianapolis with, with nothing coming back well, to you. Well, he's in that same vein... Of misses as as TJ Leaf, yeah. I mean, and, and again, yeah. that that is why there was that overall criticism on Kevin Pritchard and, and his handling of the first round and the draft as a whole. But again, that narrative has shifted and changed, at least in my mind, because of how holy bleep! Look at this first round, the second, the, the whole draft they just had last year. So I'll, that would that would stink, but it's not gonna. It's not as drastic as, say, like a lot of teams look at, oh, man, it would shift the NFL. Look at how many teams could have DK Metcalf. Like, yeah, okay, that, that's a big miss. I'm not saying Goga isn't, but, like, you've powered through it and come out the other side okay with what this year's class has shown to this point. Is it a tough loss, and is it a little bit of a, a blemish on the resume? Yeah, but overall, if this rookie class continues to perform like they've been performing, which would be a high ask, but if they do, particularly guys like Andrew Nemhard it comes out a wash or if not a net positive for where the Pacers have been drafting wise the last three or four years. 
still, February 9th is the deadline. And yep. if you don't know what you want to do right now, you might be in trouble because, again, there's just that log jam at the five. Miles is going nowhere now. That's evident. And you got to figure out what you want to do. Before we break, Jimmy, and we'll talk much more about this later, but tomorrow afternoon there's a bit of a ball game down in Bloomington. <sighs> is there ever? You got any thoughts? Look, I've said, the, I've said the last three days, and again, you could say, oh, he's an alum. Of course. Yeah, okay. Maybe there is some bias in that. I think Indiana wins this ballgame. I think it's very tight. I think it's very close. I think it comes down to one or two possessions late. But I think Indiana wins at Assembly Hall. I do. Does that win come from more so stopping Zach Eady or limiting the rest of the cast? Because limiting the rest. I think Eady, I think I don't Eady's think you can stop his. him. You know, there's not. Like you can send doubles and, and, and maybe you're not gonna count on just in general the perimeter play of Purdue being as hot as it has been, but I'd rather I don't want to bank on that. I know what Edie's going to get, and maybe the guard play still beats you. And I'm not saying don't send an occasional double or two and show different things to Zach, but uh, Lafonso Ellis said it yesterday. He has become just such a better passer this year compared to last year, and knowing to feel when that double comes and find the open man to the point that I'm most like, yeah, you know, let initially at least it gets done because you let Edie get his, contain him as much as you can, but you're trying to limit everything else. And ultimately, I think it's another, which is this recipe for Hoosier success, I think it's another nice day from beyond the arc. And I think Jalen Hood, Fino, and Trace Jackson Davis are combining for, as they have been for a number of different games. I Looking for a 30-burger from Trace and looking for about maybe 20, 25 from Jalen. Why is it a burger? I like burgers. Is that enough, though? Is, it enough? is two guys enough to beat Purdue? I don't know if it is. If your defense plays the way it is, yes. That way it has been. It didn't do that against Maryland, but if you can bottle up what you've done, because it was. It was exceptional defense. Everything looked just from an effort level and guys knowing where they needed to be, it felt like a different animal since Xavier Johnson and Race Thompson had gone down. Obviously, Race Thompson has come back, but it felt different over that four-game stretch. I'm, al- I'm allowing them to have a hiccup and a bump in the road against Maryland. Purdue's a very, very good team. Would it surprise me if Purdue goes into Assembly Hall and wins? No. What would surprise me is if, and someone asked me, uh, Zach, who was in here yesterday, asked me, what if they get rolled? I'd be like, yeah, that would really surprise me and really be very disappointing if you get run out of the gym, your own gym, by Purdue. Think it's a close game. Is there a line? Eddie, do you have that? I don't have that in front of me. I'm looking. Because... I bet it's per, well. I I bet it's Purdue minus four. That's if yeah, I was to guess that right. I I just Jimmy two guys to me doesn't beat Purdue. Even I, I even, even defensively, it might not be out one and also. a half Purdue. Oh oh wow okay. Got got to do it on the defensive end. That's your biggest thing, and hope your stars shine. That that's your biggest recipe there for Indiana. We'll dive a little bit deeper into that. Clean that up as we roll on. Kevin Bowen's going to join us at one o'clock. Joey Molinaro at 2 o'clock will get Kevin and Joey's thoughts in general on the state of the NFL and the Colts as a whole. Also, Joey's down there at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, so we'll get his just takeaways from what he's seen down there. But next, one of our favorites, Eddie Gill of the Pacers Radio Network. He was on the call last night as the Pacers fall to the Lakers 112-111. to We'll get his takeaways and if he is necessarily pressing any panic buttons or having any concerns after last night's loss plus Tyrese Halliburton's return. That and more after this. Eddie Gill next on the Fan Midday Show. 
1231 Fan Midday Show. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison. Let's hit the phones. Guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Eddie Gill's taking some time with us. You hear him on the Pacers Radio Network. We'll again tonight with Mark Boyle and Pat Boylan. Eddie on the call on the analyst side last night between the Pacers and the Lakers. Eddie, first of all, great to meet you last night for the first time and to start about last night's game Eddie I don't think this team has played a better first half than they did an evening ago what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah first uh great to connect last night thank you guys for having me again um yeah first half was was superb they did a great job of obviously scoring execution was was superb offensively uh great to see Tyrese Halliburton back in the lineup you saw what he was able to do in terms of getting himself shots and and looked like he was right back in routine didn't miss a beat and also being able to find his teammates, thought Neesmith had a big-time first half. Obviously, Miles Turner had a, had a really really good half and a really good game overall as well. And uh, beyond that, did a nice job defensively, held that team to, to 54 points in, in the first half. And uh, and really, we're, we're on their way to, to having a really nice game. Eddie, it's Jimmy. When you look at Coach Carlos' comments, obviously mentioning the free-throw discrepancy in the fourth quarter, it was kind of a debate here in our first segment did you feel it was more because the Pacers were being less of the aggressor or, or more that it just a, a weird anomaly in terms of the grand scheme of the way fourth quarters are usually officiated in the NBA? Yeah, I, I would say I would say a combination of the two. Okay. Um, the, I, I would say the discrepancy that there, there was, it, w- it was significant and something that's, you know, rarely if, if ever seen. Now, 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 having said that, I think two things can be true. Uh, I think the other side of that is you had one team shooting jump shots for, uh, you know, for the most part being on the perimeter, and another team just decided they were going to put their head down and get inside the paint and attack that that paint uh, area every single possession, which in turn they they got into the penalty. I think seven oh four maybe on the clock in the fourth quarter, uh, and and from that point on they just continued to attack, 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 and and then found themselves at the free throw line. So. Um, I, I don't I, by any means. By any means, I think the officiating had uh, some some big impact on the game uh, in terms of uh, the lopsided officiating. I thought it was called the way the way it probably should have to some degree. Maybe they missed some calls here and there, uh, but there were definitely some mistakes made um, on the patient's behalf that contributed to to their their failures offensively. Um, so I, yeah, I don't I don't blame the officials for what happened for what happened in that fourth quarter. Eddie Gill's our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Eddie, I heard you and Mark talking about this briefly last night on my way home, that you know Aaron Neesmith and Andrew Nemhard usually have gotten the responsibility this season of guarding the opposing team's best player, and Neesmith got a whole lot of LeBron James last night, and man, he performed 24 points in 35 minutes, hit five threes. How impressive for a young guy is that, that he can defend a guy like James and still put up those numbers? Extremely impressive. I think it's really impressive. I think he was completely locked in on the game. Uh, obviously, uh, it, it, we talked about you know those two guys. They draw uh, the the best defensive assignments um, night in and night out, right? And and, and Neesmith is a guy he could be guarding uh, Damian Lillard one night, and then you know the next night he's guarding Anthony Davis. <laughs> Um, you know, so in terms of his flexibility and and, and um, obviously, you know, in terms of size, there's a mismatch sometimes where he has to guard bigger guys, but he definitely takes the challenge. 
and uh, has struggled of late a little bit shooting the basketball. So it was really good to see him get back in rhythm there. But you know, being able to, to stay locked in on both ends of the floor is, is definitely a task when you're talking about guarding LeBron James on one end. Eddie Gill making some time for us of the Pacers radio network from the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Eddie, you look at Tyrese Halliburton and his return last night. I want to get into that in a moment, but first it officially being announced that he's going to be a part of the Eastern Conference All-Stars. As a 22-year-old, to have an achievement like that already under your belt, just your overall takeaways from his impact on the organization, but also what it means to have just a budding superstar right in front of our eyes get a nod like that this early in his career. I mean, it's 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 incredible. It's a it's a fantastic achievement uh, at any time in your career. But when you're able to get it get it done that early on, uh, basically his first uh, full year here with, with the Pacers, and um, he's really embraced his role as a leader here on this team. Uh, really embraced uh, the 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 spirit of what they're trying to accomplish as as a team, and just love what, what he brings. His energy, his his uh, his competitive spirit, and how he's able to make plays for this team. You know, leading the league in assists. You know, there's there's no coincidence there, and and definitely picking his spots to be aggressive to score, um, and, and one thing that that he was he was able to do uh, early on, you know, obviously prior to injuries, he was able to to show that he has the closing ability late in games. Uh, uh, you know, unfortunately they they weren't able to get it done last night, but he's he's had a tremendous season, uh, very very well deserved. He's he's clearly one of the best young point guards in the game. Eddie, you're a guy that played for a long time. You have seen pretty much everything there is to see in this league from an on-court standpoint. Uh, how easy that Halliburton made it look last night, coming back from that extended break. Uh, from a player perspective, how difficult is it to do what he did so seamlessly? Yeah, it was real, it was extremely impressive. Uh, when you when you have that amount of time off, there's 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 two factors in terms of. Uh, routine continuity with your teammates, and then also the conditioning aspect. Um, I, I think those are the things. You cannot replicate game-like situations, but he clearly has done uh, everything he needed to do to prepare himself to get back into that, that situation and be productive. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely a task. You had to stay up to speed conditioning-wise um, and then just ultimately being able to go out there and, and get that rhythm uh, back with his teammates is, is is really really impressive. And uh, I thought they did a nice job adjusting him out there on the floor because he brings a different flair to the game. Eddie, it's 11 of 12 the Pacers have dropped since Halliburton originally was out with injury. Obviously, he's back. That's a nice positive. And whether you're glass half full or glass half empty kind of guy, the league always presents opportunities. And this one, a quick turnaround in about 24 hours against the Kings. Uh, what are your keys, kind of an early preview on that of how the Pacers can bounce back in the win column against, even though De'Aaron Fox won't be out there, a Kings team that is, has surprised many in terms of what they've built so far in the Western Conference standings to this point? Yeah, after um, you know playing outstanding basketball for, for pretty much uh, two and a half quarters, three quarters, uh, and then struggling in, in one quarter, it's great to be able to get back out on the floor the next night. Um, so to look for the, see this team to kind of just wipe the, the slate clean and, and erase that from their memory, I understand they can improve from some of the mistakes. We get out there and have another chance to compete against a really good team. Uh, to your point, this isn't the Kings uh, of recent history where they've been the, the in the basement of the Western Conference over the last several years. They, they've been doing a, a great job this season of showing that they're not only a contender but a playoff contender. Um, 
you know, capturing right now. They're, you know, I believe they're in the third third spot out out west, mm-hmm. and uh, they've been there for the, for the bulk of the season. Um, you know, obviously, De'Aaron Fox is a, is a guy who uh, is again one of the most dynamic point guards in, in the game. Uh, without him, but they, you know, they still have a, a really good team. Obviously, Demontis Sabonis uh, making his return to Indianapolis. I'm sure he'll want to put on a good showing as well. Eddie. Daniel Tice making his Pacers debut last night. I realize we're six days away from the trade deadline. You never know what can happen. I'm not asking you about that. But let's say that Daniel Tice is a piece for the Pacers that sticks around here and he ends up playing a role down the stretch. What can he bring to that position most to back up Miles Turner? I think a tremendous defensive focus. Um, That's an area of focus and sometimes a struggle for the Pacers uh, periodically throughout the season. Uh, you want to continue to, to to lock in on that end of the floor, and if you were able to to, to watch him at all with the Celtics, he was a, one of the their big time contributors on on that end. Uh, he does a great job in pick and roll situations. We know that's like the the uh, most important or probably most run uh, play, if you will, in the NBA. You got to have bigs who can move and, and have good mobility um, and react and recover. So he's able to do that does a great job rebounding and then also uh he, he has a great offensive iq so he knows uh where the ball should go he can finish around the rim so i i, I like what he does uh at, at that position at the backup center pacers currently sit 11th in the eastern conference standings and a big stretch of games for them i mean let's face it eddie and you've been through the grind of the season so you know that how many more expectations how much pressure gets put on teams trying to make playoff or in this case play-in slash playoff pushes. We're not even at the all-star break yet. We're knocking on it, but we're not quite there. Brennan mentioned the trade deadline. Again, I'm not going to get in specifics there of who would be on the move in your mind, but what do you need to see over these next three games before the deadline to know that with Halliburton back out there and with the rest of not just the starters in this rookie class, but the role players coming off the bench, what do you need to see as a complete effort from this team over these next three games to know they're in a right spot when we turn the calendar in a sense, for the second half of the season? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is uh, for this team, you know, is moving forward, um, is being able to sustain a significant effort and focus for 48 minutes. And that's, you know, that, that's probably the focus for every team. But I think your margins of error uh, may, may increase or decrease depending on your opponent. And you look at the, the, the next few games, you know, there's, you know, real uh, tough competition when you're looking at Sacramento, Cleveland coming in on Sunday, and then, uh, and then you go down to Miami. So just looking three games out, it's not getting any easier. <laughs> and even after that, it, it won't get any easier. So those uh, fundamental things are super important, just being able to lock in. Um, you know, there was talk, significant talk about slower starts um, in the early on in the season. That's, that's been problematic. Late Here of late, they've had decent starts and then having problems closing, just playing a stretch of 48 minutes of, of good basketball. That doesn't mean you're, you're making every single shot or you're not making mistakes and, and those types of things. But just uh, from a from a scouting point standpoint, from an energy standpoint, from a competition standpoint, can you take, can you sustain those things for forty eight minutes? Eddie Gill, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Eddie, last one from me. Uh, I haven't had a chance to ask you yet. As recently, again, Mark Boyle, number three thousand with the Pacers. You being able to join him as an analyst. Uh, what you played in the league for a long time. You had a long, long basketball career, but. What have you learned further about the game from working with a guy like him? 
Well, it's it's been um, a great experience. I, I tell you what, each and every night I, I get a chance to do it. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, you know, as you referenced my playing career, I, I never thought about you know the radio, TV, any of that kind of thing. I was uh, focused on what I was doing, but you know, obviously knew that the you know the, the radio covered the game and that kind of thing. But I never really understand the nuance, the intricacies, the amount of detail uh, that goes into it. And I'm sure different guys do it different ways, but. I can tell you, Mark is uh, extremely detail oriented. Uh, the picture that he paints, uh, you know, while he's going doing his play by play, it's 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 pretty, uh, it's really impressive to to see and be a part of. And and um, yeah, I'm just grateful for the opportunity, and and he's fun to work with. Eddie Gill, you'll hear him again tonight as the Pacers take on the Kings. Coverage on the fans starting at 6.30, and then the tip time at 7 from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Eddie, thanks again for the time, man. We'll see you a little bit later. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me. Eddie Gill with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. BK, Jay Cook, Eddie Garrison hanging with you until 3. Again, Pacers and the Kings, you'll hear that starting at 6.30. Bob Lovell coming up later with Indiana Sports Talk at 10.30. We'll take a timeout. Kevin Bowen coming up top of the hour. Joey Molinaro with us at 2. Coming back on the fan. That's Eddie Garrison on the tunes. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook from the DriveHubler.com studios. Fan Midday Show closing out the week. Pacers and the Kings tonight at 6.30. I always thought it was interesting that there are two teams in California named the Kings. Yeah. You know? Hockey but, and basketball. I but get it, sure. Sac- Sacramento was always irrelevant enough to where like, oh, you don't even think about it. And then yeah. the LA Kings went on their run two cups in three years. You're like, all right, they're probably kind of put the that better. But I always thought that was confusing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I never had that. Like, the only, the only like time didn't really matter like, to us, well, right? Because it's out there. But like, they, they always would emphasize the New York Football Giants, or Chris Bird would always do that. I like, New uh, York Football uh, Giants. But like, I uh, yeah, I don't know. I never had those because I was a big hockey guy. You were probably at that yeah. age, so that probably clicked more for you than it did for me. That's fair. Uh, what is can either of you explain to me what is the beam in Sacramento? I still don't get it. I've never been out there, so I'll show Fire you. The be- you know what I'm talking know. about? I have no idea. Light the beam? Light the beam. Do you want to know what that is? No. Is that like the beam in the Las Vegas casino? What's that one? The pyramid one? Right. That, where there's the 24-7 beam. That's somebody's going to get very mad at us now because we don't know this. I don't know. If you're from Sacramento listening to us right now and you're in town, please call in 317-239-1070. I don't know what the beam is. 317-239-1070 if you know what the beam is. I, I'm Googling it right now. Because that's kind of take taken on a persona of its own out there. It's that's big, all I read. That's I see it on social media. It's a pretty big persona if, of this room. The Sacramento Kings victory it. beam. They light it every time they win, I think. So or, it's like, it's basically the Cubs W4. So it's not. I think, or or it's something that they're, it's their slogan to try to end their 16-year playoff drought. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I've seen both here. It's not a, a piece of like architectural significance. It is just something that's done after Kings wins. That's Hold it. On. There's no. I just pulled appears. up an article. Everything you need to know about the Kings light the beam. Also, Jimmy, you guys never answered my question yesterday. You've almost oh, had a whole day. There's to something think else about I want to talk about, but oh, go ahead and ask. Go, it again. Jimmy. Yep. Brendan, you can be out on this as well. I wasn't here yesterday. I know. So uh, Zach McCrae yesterday, we were doing a segment where it was like a little bit get to know you. He'd ask us a couple questions, and we asked him one. And then, in conclusion of the segment, I asked him if you could switch your legs with any legs oh. of an animal, what animal would you choose? 
And they both teased it up that they would think about it during the break and come back and answer, and neither of them did. So I've given Jimmy almost a whole day now to think of this answer. I guess a gorilla. A gorilla? You'd be pretty short. I mean, you sacrifice the height, but because you, you also need to take into account, like, if I would have, I thought about a cheetah, right? But, yeah. like, that's not going to, like, I mean, I'm not, I weigh like 200. Like, that's not going to support me. I'm not going to stand up. I'm not going to stand up like a human. So I'm going to be like all like this. And then all of a sudden I'm. Well, I don't, I don't think it's quite. You take that into that, account. No. Because it's everyday because, life. No, you get two legs and whatever happens. <laughs> whatever it, you, happens, happens. Well, no. If, if, you, if you get two legs from a four-legged animal, I sure. feel like. I don't take that into account. You would, you would still act like the animal. You know what I'm saying? If Correct. You got, if you got two cheetah legs, you wouldn't have to go on all fours. It would just be... I'm suddenly the Flash? Yeah. Okay, then it's the cheetah. Yeah, that's the that's answer. That's what I'm saying. That's the answer. I mean, <laughs> if I'm suddenly the Flash and it doesn't matter it. about weight distribution anymore, then yes, I'll take the cheetah. That's how I understand it. What would you w- take? Go on, you first. Mm. Yeah. You, can't, you can't copy him, so... I'll take a kangaroo. Why not? Oh, that's a good oh, that's one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, you know what? <laughs> I've always wanted to be taller than I am. Give me a giraffe. I like it. You're, you're, but you're prone to a possible leg break. Yes, I, I would just end up. Well, lo- not in this scenario. I would just it doesn't end- matter. No, you just end up looking like Chet Holmgren. He's got, he's got giraffe. Like he looks like a baby giraffe. The way he that he runs. also got hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fine. I, I would sacrifice getting hurt How for being seven two. Um, I would need to sit courtside at every broadcast. Courtside at a baseball stadium. Yeah, we can make that work. Cool. There's something that I've wanted to bring up that Go. we haven't brought up yet today, and I don't know if they brought it up on the morning show or not. But come on, we got to listen to oh. the Uh-oh. sauce and the moxie and just the beautiful double birds by Tyrese Halliburton to Wally Zerbiak, oh, getting yeah. the exclamation point on all of this. And he didn't Th- say anything. But you know what he did? No, because I found this out on a Google search about 20 minutes ago. Is it trustworthy? Oh, yeah, because I'm looking at it right now with a verified blue check mark. The man changed his profile picture to Wally Zerbiak. No. It is brilliant. It is checkmate. It is just absolutely chef's kiss. You're kidding me. No. Oh, he did it. It's on his. It's on his verified Twitter. I really hope it's from the clip where he said that he wasn't a, a, he's a fake all star. But just tip of the cap, just applause yes. all around. Tyrese wins. That's 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 the end of the game. Oh, that's terrific. Check and mate. Indianapolis is so cool. This this kid is unbelievable. Yeah. I, again, I don't know. I don't know when he did it. Some of the articles that are because because people know about it now. It's not because I said it. Like I saw it on a. Oh on a, wait, on did a, you see his header with Buddy Healed? His his I did, I his header is Buddy Healed giving somebody the bird. I, it looks like it's, it's giving him the bird. <laughs> his his header is Buddy Heel giving him the bird. I can't verify yeah, if that's I what could, it's always I been that or not. Play. I I know the play. It's when Buddy had like a breakaway layup, and they have this bet or something. I don't know a competition who can have more dunks this year. And Buddy elected for the layup instead of the dunk. And Tyrese was like joking around with him. And then that's why Buddy was giving him the bird. So I don't, again, I follow Dude. Tyrese, but I'm not checking his, his page every day. Is it safe to assume that header was already there? Uh, I don't know. I think I, so. I don't know. I think okay, so. But either way, the, the bigger It'd be nice of to be two, able to go back in time and be like, hey, let me see your profile from a week ago. The bigger of the two is that he's plastered Wally Zerbiak's mug as his Twitter Abby. Oh Just a massive goodness. W, planting the fag, victory lap all around for 
Tyrese Halliburton just taking the flag and sticking it right in the middle. What's even better is Jalen Brunson's not even an all-star. That too. Yeah, Yeah, that's icing on the cake. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So tip of the cap to Tyrese Halliburton. Again, I understand uh, you want to see wins, but in terms of the war of all this and the disrespect that Zerbiak, which I guess he kind of apologized at one point in time, that's fine. You're allowed to take a victory lap. That's ingenious. Proud of him. It's so somebody, subtle. Somebody posted, reposted the video. Remember the first ever match with Brady and Peyton and Tiger and Phil? Yes. And Brady dunked that little chip shot while Charles Barkley was in his ear? Yes. Take a suck of that, Chuck. Yes. It, take it, a suck yes. of that, Wally. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Man, well, I would love to do the next play tonight. If they play tonight, that would actually be. Let's do a little. I just love the subtlety of it. I do. I think Wally's going to get off. Yeah. He, because it's out there now. Knicks like, don't like, play. Like clutch hoops. Like it, it's. I didn't just stumble upon this. Knicks right? don't play. Wally's going to be able to hide tonight. Because <laughs> if he had to go on television, I'm sure he doesn't care. No, he doesn't. But if he had to go on television, some people would just be tweeting at him all night long. Great yeah. find, Jimmy. Tyrese Halliburton is our all-star. What a stud. Star of the future. Everybody's saying, talking man. about him that way. He's showing it on the floor. Is there still pieces to be added and build for? Yes. So we can go in depth about that. We'll continue to do it throughout this season and into the offseason. But in the moment right now, this must have been, it was only noticed recently. And I don't know how long it's been there, but Hoops Hype, Sports Illustrated, we're talking within the last 40 minutes, those articles being posted about that. So, so Buddy was pretty quiet last night. Would you, Eddie, would you bet Buddy over points against his former team? Ooh. That's enticing, eh? I think it depends if Tyrese plays tonight or not. We don't know if he's going to be limited on the so second I, night of I a back-to-back. Sti- I would still bet it. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. But just considering how they treated Buddy, I, I bet you a dollar that th- that Buddy would kind of wants to throw it back a little bit. Yeah, I think he had one of his worst shooting performances of the year, if I'm not mistaken, at Sacramento. I would take a look at both his points and maybe even made threes. Uh Kevin Bowen is going to join us next. KB will chat on the coaching search for your Indianapolis Colts. Maybe we'll even ask him about our all-star Tyrese Halliburton. Joey Molinaro at 2 o'clock. Joey was retweeted by Jim Ursay from his impression of Ballard and Ursay that video just a few days back. But it's KB. He'll join us next. Pacers might have lost, but Tyrese Halliburton's taking a victory lap. Just tip of the cap to the Pacers all-star. We just joked about it last segment. Tyrese Halliburton, the most subtle response, the most subtle just jab back at Wally Zerbiak, just putting his mug on his Twitter Abbey after overcoming the, oh, he's a fake all-star comments from earlier in the year. Just a beautiful chapter and verse on that little back and forth. I just love it. It's awesome. It's perfect. And it's another reason to get behind this Pacers team. And even though they lost last night, I, I love the love the confidence that he exudes. Uh, KB, I assume, based on just the way the articles, Kevin Bowen, nice enough to join us, of Kevin and Query, I assume based on the articles that I found on that, that this has only happened within the last hour or so. Uh, maybe it did happen earlier in the day, and you noticed it. But uh, either way, if you didn't know that, what are your reactions to the now All-Star uh, making the checkmate move, as it were, with such subtlety and grace? Uh, yeah, pettiness on point there, <laughs> to say the least. Um, you know, in all seriousness, I think that whole whatever it was storyline for a couple of nights, I think that helped Tyrese Halliburton's all-star candidacy. Yeah. Um, just because it got a little bit more national eyes. And, 
you know, in being around professional sports and covering it for, you know, about a decade or so, you, you really find these guys will look for some crazy things for motivation. Um, and in Halliburton's case, you know, I think anytime you're kind of publicly called out like that, you're, you're just naturally as a competitor going to be wired to, you know, want to achieve something that's always been a goal of his. And I'm just glad that he got the nod. I think, you know, so many times you see guys that, that don't feel like they're getting the credit that they deserve and for him to get that and then go out and play, I thought really well last night. I know the fourth quarter, there were some definite struggles, but I was just so impressed by how you hardly saw any rust in the first couple of quarters. And boy, you watch this team over the last three weeks. Um, you're Tyrese Halliburton's agent. You got to be a happy man watching how poorly the Pacers played, knowing how much your client means to this team and this franchise. And I thought he was important. I didn't know he was that important. Kev, how about, as you said, the first half, because I was in the building, not sure if you were, but not only shooting 54% from three, Tyrese so seamlessly getting back in the swing of things and performing the way he did in the first half, and then how they defended LeBron and especially Russ. I mean, that was, we were just talking with Eddie Gill, that was about as good of his first half as I think they played all season. Yeah, you know, I think the thing that stood out to me initially was just Halliburton, hardly any rust. Um, It's always impressive to me how, for a guy that, you know, is not some just crazy, insane athlete, how easily he's able to get into the paint or around the paint. And then he's just extremely intelligent and is always a step ahead of everybody out there. Uh, It it seemed like, um, you know, there is just a guy that exudes confidence and guys kind of feed off that. And, I mean, how about the night like Aaron Neesmith had? I mean, Neesmith has shot it horrible in the month of January. And I just think Halliburton's presence is able to help you out uh, big time in in that area. I would have liked to have seen him. I know he didn't shoot it great from three, but, you know, when he got Anthony Davis switched on him there late, Halliburton, I I was hoping that he would have done kind of that patented Halliburton step back three, and he decided to drive on Davis, and, of course, Davis kind of ate that up. Uh, But, again, the big picture of this season, and I know it's, it's hard to admit after last night because you're playing LeBron, Halliburton's back, you've lost 10 of 11, you, you know, have led for 45, 46 minutes. Like, no one wants to hear kind of competitive, entertaining loss. But to be in those moments against LeBron, against Anthony Davis, against Russell Westbrook, those are all so important for this team and continuing to grow and continuing to achieve what the big goal was at the start of the season. And that was experience, great individual growth, and the wins and losses are kind of on the back burner. And that's kind of what my expectations were at for this team to start the year, KB. And and then all that winning happened out of the gate. And whether you want to point to the schedule or just point to the, the great chemistry in, in general, this locker room has exuded and how sharp they've been on both ends of the floor prior to the Halliburton injury. I mean, yeah, it kind of reset expectations for a second. But as you look at that now, because you're right, no one wants to hear and maybe the more knowledgeable Pacers fan understand the situation, but if you're a casual Pacers fan or you just, you know, are way, way more idealistic versus optimistic or, or a pessimist, maybe you're thinking, oh, this team could make some noise and make a run to the conference finals. I, I know you and I aren't saying that, but I'm sure there's people out there that are that insane. Um, <laughs> when you look at that aspect, though, of wins and losses not being a massive uh, expectation for us to start the year, and now all of a sudden they're in this camp where they could make the play-in slash maybe move up in the seating if the next couple of weeks go right. Where do you change how you judge this team, if at all? Yeah, 
I don't. Um, and I will admit that I probably am a little bit more big picture than most. And, and when Kevin Pritchard and company committed to this rebuild, um, I said, good, you know, don't, don't have to ask the rebuild though. I, I'm not one of these people that sit here and think, Oh, the Pacers will never win at the highest level in the NBA in this market. I mean, they were a game away from the finals against LeBron yeah. the year before that they were two games away. They obviously made the championship, you know, against the Lakers. I mean, they have been there as a franchise, different iterations of that franchise. And if you look at the NBA right now, you can point to some middle to small market teams that have built championship type rosters. Not easy, but they have done that. And I think that's what the Pacers goal should be. And that's why I look at last night and, you know, again, in the short term and the immediate aftermath of it for Brendan King walking out of that arena and the 15, 16,000 that also did, uh, I guess there are probably a couple thousand of Lakers fans in there, but for the vast majority of people, they were probably pissed. But if you look at it and maybe try to look at last year's draft, the Pacers had the sixth overall pick. If you look at the first six names of last year's draft, take out Chet Holmgren because he hasn't played this year, but the first five, I think, have all had pretty good rookie seasons. Um if you get a little bit lower than that, it starts to get sketchy. What if the Pacers would have ended up at eighth and drafted Dyson Daniels? What if the Pacers would have ended up at tenth and taken Johnny Davis? I mean, you would not be in the same sort of situation as a franchise. So that's why when I look at the final 30 games, I know it's a lot of games and they're the healthiest they've been all season. But the best case for, scenario for me when you look ahead is to be back in the lottery and to be as high up in the lottery as you can, and you've got a couple of picks to help you, I think, get higher in the lottery if you need to trade up. Uh, but I think it's clear to me, um, as promising as this season has been, you are still a major piece. Um, you could argue a couple of pieces away, but I would say one major piece and kind of one French piece away from being you know, a legit, somewhat contending team in the Eastern Conference. Kevin Bowen's with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Kev, that's what I was about to get into. I heard you, I think you were talking with John about kind of the missing ingredient feels like that stretch athletic four that can make threes and defend well to yep. play next to Miles. Um, we were talking about this earlier, me and Jimmy, that there's this plethora now of backup centers all of a sudden because Daniel Tice is seemingly back. We'll see what happens in the next six days with the trade deadline, but he made his debut last night. Isaiah Jackson had that nice dunk last night. Jalen Smith was a DNP, and Goga Batadze kind of just feels like more so a glorified cheerleader on the end of that bench now, unfortunately. So can they turn that wealth of just center depth now since they re-signed Miles into something that can maybe help out with your wish of that stretch four? Yeah, I, I don't know if you can get to the quality that you would like, but I think guys like Goga, guys like Daniel Tice, even Chris Duarte, those are all names that I would not even think or anything close to untouchable here in the next six days. I'd honestly throw TJ McConnell on that list. And I know there's Agreed. plenty of reasons to, to retain a guy like him, but he's a 30-year-old um, point guard that, in an ideal world, Tyrese Halliburton's your starter and Andrew Nemhard is your backup. Now, maybe you've been exposed and think that Nemhard can play a little bit more off the ball. I, I don't know if that's what you want him consistently doing 82 nights out of the year. I think it's nice to have that option. But I think ideally, if he was running the show for that second unit, then you would have very like-minded, very similar style point guards in the starting group and the backup group. Um, and I think that would be great. So 
if you're able to net anything, I think in return for those guys, particularly the top three, I think you got to do it. Because as you said, BK, I mean, there was a log jam in that front court. I mean, last night, Jalen Smith was a DNP coach's decision. And that's happened a lot here as of late. Isaiah Jackson has seen some of that. So uh, that to me has been the most disappointing aspect of the season. It's not a year that's filled with much of that. But the fact that you don't have any young bigs that you really are intrigued by, um, I think kind of added to the importance of needing to re-sign Turner. Um, but something that stood out to me in the fourth quarter, and I, I heard you guys talking about it a little bit earlier with Eddie Gill of, you know, how much was that bad whistle in the fourth quarter? How much of that was just poor, uh, I shouldn't say poor, lack of aggressiveness? I'd probably go a little bit more to the latter. Of I just felt like the Lakers from the first minute of that fourth quarter said, we are going to live in the paint. We are going to attack, attack, attack. And they dominated the paint. They dominated at the rim. And when you're the aggressor like that, you're going to get to the, the foul line. Honestly, it was very reminiscent of how um, I felt like the Pacers. It was similar to how IU reacted on Tuesday night when they got into the bonus kind of early in the second half. And then all of a sudden, it became a very perimeter-based offense the rest of the way. I mean, just, just look at the three-point attempts for the two teams last night. The Pacers shoot 41 threes. The Lakers shoot 22. You're going to have a 19-attempt difference in three-point shots. You're going to have a big difference usually at the foul line, and that's exactly what you saw. And, again, I think it was a little bit more of the athleticism, out-bullied nature. The Pacers are kind of playing smaller right now. Again, Neesmith is is like this bigger power forward. O'Shea Bursett, is he like an ideal four? Probably not. And so with all of that, I just think you are a team that at times gets exposed athletically, and that's why the long 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", guys, I think it's really an area where the Pacers need to try and improve. Kevin Bowen, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline at themotorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, and so much more. They got you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and themotorshop.com. KB, you had an article on 1075thefan.com where folks can find your work in regards to the print and digital realms of things. Headline weighing pros and cons of each Colts head coaching candidate. You reviewed the names that are left in theory after those moves made Wednesday afternoon that saw D'Amico Ryan to the Texans and Sean Payton to Denver. Uh, With those remaining candidates... What did you learn? You made that pros and cons list. I, I like to imagine you sitting down before you wrote that on a yellow legal pad, putting those pros and cons <laughs> to work. Uh, what, what were your takeaways? Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm 33 years old, Jimmy, not not, not 63. <laughs> but nonetheless, I am a huge yellow legal pad fan. And I'm a huge uh, specific pen person. I know there was that tweet a few weeks ago that came out about which pen do you enjoy using. I, I'm, a, I'm a stickler when it comes to the ballpoint action um yeah pros and cons how would i weigh it um i probably side with the two offensive coordinators still brian callahan a slight nod over shane steichen um you know in, in terms of the next group for me raheem morris um you know when i look at a resume like an aaron glenn who they just interviewed lines defensive coordinator i get a little bit of mike rabel vibes to it you know i when you look at Vrabel's resume before he took the Houston job, he had been coaching for four years in the NFL and had been a coordinator for one year. Like that experience scares away, I think, so many people. 
But, you know, Tennessee able to find something in him. And in a way, I think Glenn kind of has some of that. You could argue he honestly has more experience, similar playing career. He's a former NFL scout. I think that's kind of an interesting um, you know, piece to his resume you don't typically see either. Uh, you know, Some of the leadership guys and Rich Passaccia and Week Martindale, I think Colts fans should view a little bit more in a this-could-happen light because why Jeff Saturday is even being entertained as a candidate is because of his leadership. Uh, that's a big deal to Chris Bowden and Jim Mercer. I know it's a word and leader of men. We all like to make fun of that and probably rightfully so, but that matters. And I think if you were to ask Bowden or say, do they care more about leader or offensive mind? Boy, I could see them saying leader before the offensive mind, even though the trend in today's NFL certainly is much more offensive based. So that's where you see Martindale. You think a little Bruce Arians from Rich Passaccia's standpoint, I mean, he's been lauded from the leadership um, leadership element throughout his career. Chris Ballard has a connection to him. So um, I think you can make a case, certainly, for why these guys are of interest to the Colts. But, again, I keep on coming back to the offense and just how important that side of the ball is, how much you need a reshift there, how much you need stability for the young quarterback. I think that's such an issue for teams that draft young quarterbacks oftentimes you aren't able to create stability around him, whether that's personnel stability or probably more so coaching stability. I think that's a big, big issue. So um, D'Amico Ryans and Brian Callahan were the two guys that when Frank Wright got fired that I wanted to see. And obviously Ryans is not going to be the coach. So I'll, uh, I'll go with Brian Callahan. Kev, the way that the division now is shaking out, you just brought up Mike Vrabel and what he's been able to do in Tennessee. I realize the Titans – maybe look at their weakest point right now, which is who is on that roster. But, of course, they have a coach that they trust in. The Jaguars all of a sudden are the juggernaut of the division, it seems, and they have the brightest future of anybody. They got the quarterback and the coach figured out. You just mentioned the name D'Amico Ryans, and at least that's a breath of fresh air for Houston that they got one of the better, if not the best, defensive coordinators in the game. And then that leaves Indianapolis. So you, you take a look now at who's around you in the division how much does that frighten you just by the leadership that's gonna you're gonna have to play twice a year at each stop? Yeah, frighten and AFC South usually don't go hand in yes. hand, but um I couldn't agree more with you, to be honest with you, Brendan. I, I you know, when you talk about pillars of an organization, head coach and quarterback are those pillars. And right now, obviously you have major questions here in Indianapolis and what your pillars are gonna be at those spots. I mean, you look at Jacksonville right now, they feel really, really good about those two spots. You look at Tennessee, and I would say they feel really good about one of the two. Uh, Malik Willis, I think, needs a whole lot of development before you would even think about him in a similar light. And you look at Houston, and they at least have some hope at those two spots. Like, the D'Amico Ryan sentiment for me is much different than David Cawley and Lovey Smith, each of the last two hiring cycles. Um, And they obviously have the number two overall pick, and theoretically – with 12 draft picks, they could easily trade back up to one and have their pick at at quarterback. So it's the most hope I've seen within the division. Again, teams like Houston, they've got to turn it into actual results on the field. But for the other three teams, we're just used to them being kind of free spaces on the bingo card, and they're just not bad. There is, I think, real legitimate hope, Jacksonville having clearly the most. And as much as, again, Tennessee, you know, people, I think, just kind of look at them with a little bit of a stigma. 
they, they continue to be right there despite all the injuries, despite being built in a weird way. And now they've got a new GM. Maybe they won't be built kind of in the same way that they have been as more of a run-focused team. Obviously, when you have Henry, that's always going to be there. But maybe you have a GM now that's not going to trade A.J. Brown. Uh, and they had two huge injuries at the start of the season at left tackle with Taylor Lawan and their, and their best pass rusher, probably the best pass rusher in the division, and Harold Landry as well. So this is a different-looking AFC South. Now, the good news is, and again, this is all on paper because I probably would have said this last year about the NFC East at this time, you play the NFC South next year, that is a – I mean, <laughs> name me the best quarterback in the NFC South. Like, yeah. I don't know if there is one. Um, so I – I do think that Desmond Ritter. the division is just, <laughs> seriously. I mean, Sam Darnold. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, Probably it's, Darnold. Yeah. It's wild to to look at it um, from that standpoint. So, uh, to your point, Brendan, I think it's a really good one. I think there are some legit reasons for hope across the AFC South, and now you know the Colts will try and kind of take their first step towards that hope here at the head coaching hire. And then in late April, seemingly with the quarterback draft pick. Kevin, what's the thought of how much authority Chris Ballard would have whenever this coach arrives for what they do at four? Is it going to be, I mean, obviously, I guess Jim Irsay has the overall overriding veto. He can do whatever he wants his team. But is the prevailing thought it's going to be a collaborative effort between new coach yet to be named? And Chris Ballard, or would one have more say or pull power over the other? Well, it'd probably be naive to think, you know, cut the pie into thirds. Jim Mercer will have 33%, and Ballard <laughs> have 33 and this new coach will have 33 uh, Obviously, Ursay will make the final call on it. Uh, I think Ballard will have a good amount of influence, more so than the coach. But the coach, particularly an offensive-minded coach, is going to have say in it as well. Uh, but I don't think as much. I, I don't think it's going to get to the point where, like, Ursay picks the quarterback, but I think, you know, he will, especially trade up, you know, he, he's going to have some influence on that position. He's had influence on him before. Obviously, we've seen it here in the past 12 months a little bit more than others. Uh, but I think that is, you know, I don't know if you guys have, have thought about this. Something Jake and I were talking about earlier today. Like, what the hell are they talking about in these 10-hour interviews? <laughs> you know, that, and, yes. and, and I say that, like, yeah. in yeah. all seriousness, just like, pure curiosity of, okay, what are you talking about? And again, I don't think it's necessarily like if they're meeting for 10 hours, you know, probably what seven or eight of it is actual talking. I mean, I I would hope there's some moments to eat food or there's some moments to maybe go home and take a shower or go to a hotel or do, do whatever. Um, But I think a huge chunk of that would be what's your plan at quarterback? What do you believe about that position? Um, If it's a defensive coach, hey, what's your offensive philosophy? What happens if we have great success in the first couple of seasons? How are you going to maintain that stability on that offensive side of the ball? So you know, I, I try to map out like hour by hour. You know, it's like one hour, okay, free agency philosophy. One hour is, you know, drafting philosophy. One hour is this would be my schedule. Uh, this would be how I would want to approach training camp. This would be my staff. This would be what I think of your roster, uh, how I view the locker room. Like, I guess you could kind of map out what eight-ish hours looks like. It's a seminar, Kevin. There's schedules. There's breaks. Come on. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely breaks. Make the most of the 15 minutes that you get to walk around the old old complex. Uh, And, you know, we all have seen Jim Irsay and having been in rooms with him in one-on-one settings, 
when Jim Irsay talks, that can really shrink maybe how many minutes you're going to talk there during that uh, that particular topic. So that's just a little bit of a uh, just a kind of a side angle. I've been like, man, what the hell do they even talk about for that long? I actually have somewhat of an answer, boys, because I never thought I would say this information. Uh, I met Joe Girardi at Cubs convention nice. right? because Girardi is now an analyst for the Cubs network or, or whatever. And the legend. I, I, I legitimately asked him because the, he had a 10-hour interview with the Cubs. Before he went to the Phillies, he interviewed for the Cubs job before David Ross got it. So we were just talking. And Kevin, no joke, I asked him the same exact question. What in the hell do you talk about <laughs> for 10 hours? He said, that, but he got to request all the food. That would be on breaks for. So he, oh, yeah. Cool. So like he brought all the classic Chicago stuff, Portillo's, deep dish pizza. So like if you're interviewing in Indianapolis, I- I'm getting a cowboy ribeye from St. Elmo's sent straight to me, and I'm taking a good hour break to enjoy that. If if I'm yeah. one of the oh, yeah. So well, that's one of the benefits for a week at that point. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You get to request everything. Now again, I'm sure it's somewhat stressful at the same time. Uh, Kev, when it comes to the quarterback thing and I feel like the conversation at least of trading up to number one has sort of died down in the last couple weeks and that's obviously because the draft is a ways away but would the Colts and more so Ballard would they actually pull that trigger would they trade up to one oh I think if you fall in love with a guy more than everybody else in the class you would have to um I mean I'm such a believer in if you find the guy, you do everything you can to go and get him. You, you don't think or hope that person will fall into your lap. I mean, and, and I've mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating. You know, when you look at, I would say, the three most consistent teams in the AFC over the last handful of seasons, you would put Kansas City, you'd put Buffalo, and you probably put Baltimore into that group. And you look at all three of them, and if I'm not mistaken, I probably need to go back and double-check it. I want to say all three franchises made the playoffs the year before they drafted their franchise quarterback, obviously Mahomes, Allen, and Lamar Jackson. And I point that out to say those three franchises weren't content with just making the playoffs. Yep. Those three the, the, those three franchises, I mean, Alex Smith and Jimmy Cheesecake, like a, a fine career. They were having nice success with him. But even a mastermind like Andy Reid thought to himself, you know what? We need more at that position. We need stuff that I can't teach. And all three of those franchises made giant trade-ups to get those respective QBs. You know, Mahomes was, what, 25 spots, something like that, in the first round. Buffalo traded up twice uh, in the first round. They actually traded a player to initially move up and then traded up again to number seven to take Allen. And Baltimore made a big trade to get in the back end of the first round and take Lamar Jackson in the in the following draft. So, um, four to one, it, it might seem like, oh, just wait, there's no difference between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Will Levis. If you think there's a difference, you cannot sit and, and you know, oh, yeah, we, we hope or we, we think. You think any Chiefs fan is really mauling over what they gave up to move up 25 spots to get Patrick Mahomes? Do you think any Bills fans, like, Hey, I don't know about that 2018 second-round pick we had to throw in there to sweeten the deal to get Josh Allen. If you get it right, nothing matters. Kevin, is there a quarterback? I know we're maybe a little too early with this, but we're getting, it's getting closer. I mean, we're only about three or two months away. Is there a quarterback that of those top three, top four that would really irk you or, or make you feel 
just kind of maybe not dejected, but just frustrated with the way this offseason went. Regardless of who the coach is, let's say it's a it's Callahan, but they take a quarterback who's you do not want to see come off the board. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, Will Levis is probably the most polarizing of the three. Um, he will be one that a GM gets extended or gets fired by drafting Will Will Levis. I mean, he's a guy that had so many issues around him this past season at Kentucky. He played through a whole lot injury-wise. Uh, but, you know, you could argue you watched Kentucky play this year. There's no way you were blown away by Levis and thought top five pick. Granted, if you probably pop in Josh Allen's film, of his final season at Wyoming, you would have said the same thing. I want to say Wyoming played Oregon Allen's final year there. I think that was the one like big game they had. And I think he completed like 39% of his passes in that game. So I, I don't think it was like this end-all, be-all that you just totally write him off. And I do think Chris Bauer would be intrigued by the traits on and off the field that Levis brings. Uh, I've always been a little bit more Bryce Young than C.J. Stroud. Uh, now, what Stroud did in the semifinal – game just blew me away I was so impressed by what he did um just how he handled himself the type of plays he made that was a special special sort of effort but you know Bryce Young I just think is so dynamic I get the height concerns I get the weight concerns um and who knows maybe he'd be hit a whole lot more in the NFL wouldn't be able to sustain a decade-long career but I would say CJ Stroud and Bryce Young would probably be a little bit on a tier above but Levis is not that far away. It would take a lot of development and it would take a lot of coaching. But this is another element of the drafting of a quarterback that's necessary. I mean, Mahomes sat for a year and then won MVP. Josh Allen's rookie year did not look like Josh Allen now. I mean, you, 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 you know, Burrow is, is a rare exception. You don't get these guys that are finished products. And I would say specifically in Levis's case, a whole lot of development would be needed. Kev, you led me right in my next question. I'm a Bryce Young guy, too. I've made that very aware on this show, especially. But when if you draft a guy like that, would you feel comfortable enough to throw him into the atrocity that has been the Colts' offensive line from the last year? Because if you do not feel comfortable, as in Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay, that would mean you have to go back to the carousel and find a veteran to try and play over him again. So do you feel comfortable enough to put a la a Bryce Young in that spot? Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I, I think you're going to have some questions you have to ask yourself this offseason. Um, is Brian Kelly still playing at the level that his contract says? Uh, I would argue no. Um, so what do you do there? What do you do at right guard? You know, I, I think the other three spots are pretty much set in stone. I do think Bernard Ryman showed you something late in the year, but still. You know, I don't know if you'd label him a, a – I mean, certainly wouldn't, I, I guess, label him a top half left tackle so far. I am a play-the-rookie-right-away type of guy. I think baptism by fire is kind of the best way to get used to all of that and experience all that. Obviously, there's plenty of examples that you could point to that it worked and that it didn't work. And, you know, when guys rest for a year, you know, in Mahomes' case, again, I mean, that obviously worked out brilliantly. But I'll be super curious, Brendan, to see what they do on the O-line. You know, how much do they think that was a concern, that was a worry? Yeah, I thought Frank Reich said it pretty well early in the week, you know, when asked about his indie tenure during his opening press conference about Carolina and really this past season what the issue was, Frank said we could not get the ball down the field vertically. And there's a lot of things that play into that. But that, to me, was the Colts' biggest issue last season. And, again, O-line plays into that, quarterback plays into that, wide receiver personnel plays into that. 
But if you don't threaten a defense in today's NFL further than seven yards, you're just going to be suffocated on a week-in, week-out basis. And it's why the Colts had one of the worst offenses the NFL has seen in years. You know, it's very similar to, you know, when a guy can't, you know, shoot outside the paint. All right, we're just going to pack it. We're going to sit in our zone and we're going to dare you to shoot. Good luck. Um, so to me, you know, offensive line plays into that. And really, you think all three of these QBs have pretty good arms. You know, it's not like you're dealing with, and you would hope not if you're drafting the top five. You know, arm strength is going to have to be there. But Bryce Young for me, Brendan, creator. I, we had Dane Brugler on a couple of months ago. Stud. The, quarter, the, the quarterback position is not a passer. It's a creator. And to me, Bryce Young creates things. And I get the height. I get the concern there. But I still think he can be pretty darn dynamic at the NFL level. Mm. Indiana or Purdue tomorrow? God, I've gone back and forth. <laughs> Have we seen a line on it? Eddie said one. Is that right, Eddie? Toss up. Purdue, Purdue, Purdue one. one. Purdue minus one. Yeah, Purdue fair by one. I saw the I saw the ESPN analytics at Indiana winning the game. Um, I just think that building is a ten point difference, and I know that sounds crazy, but I think IU has a ten point advantage in big time environments in that building. Um, I have thought to myself, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are wise beyond their years, and why should I doubt them? Uh, but I still think that building just gives Indiana a slight, slight advantage. So um, I will go with IU. Uh, but, man, again, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer make me make me want to go with Purdue. That's two IU picks, one from KB, one from Jay Cook. That will be, that'll be interesting. Where Jerry. are you going, BK? Are uh, you going boilers? It's hard not to, Kev. It's hard not to, Kev. Do you think the big guys just cancel each other out? Is that what we're thinking there? And it's well, the, 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 you can cancel Edie out, but to me, Purdue has just has more weapons. I, I don't think IU can beat Purdue with two guys, Kev. I think it's a big day defensively yeah. for Indiana. That, that's what was my counterpoint to Brennan. I think they let Edie get his, but they, they handle everything else. And, and the other counterpoint I would throw out there is Indiana has weapons inside of that building that don't show up outside of the building. Like, if you yeah. look at their last two yeah. games inside of there, they've shot it like, 50-some percent, 60-some percent from three. And then you see them at Maryland, you see them at Minnesota, and they can't throw it into the ocean. So <laughs> I just feel – and last year, I mean, you know, you imagine us talking the day of the game last year and saying, Robert Fennessey is going to have 20, 22 <laughs> points in the game. You know, we would have been laughed at, but that's exactly what he did. And, you know, he won't have to buy a drink in the city of Bloomington ever again. Yeah. Uh, Kev, last thing – so to- Trey Galloway's going for 40 is what you're telling me. So what I understand. <laughs> yeah, well, easy now. you got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, last thing, Pacers-Kings tonight. You going with an all-revenge game parlay. Buddy, Tyrese, and Domas all over their points. Mm, mm. I like the thought process there. And I'm picturing Trey Galloway shooting 20 floaters to get to his 40 points. <laughs> uh, is what Jimmy Cook asked me. I like that. I say hammer those overs. That is a nice – is that a Brendan King, Jay Cook parlay there? That's a BK um, parlay right there. I like there. it. Okay. Um, I can get behind that. Yeah, high-scoring game inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Sign me up for that. Especially because Halliburton played really poorly in this first matchup. Um, I think yeah, Buddy did too. I like so. it. Yeah. Good call. Kev, thank you as always for making the time for us. Have a wonderful weekend, and uh, we'll holler at you next week. Hopefully there's uh, maybe round four of the interviews will arrive by then. Uh, just stop. Please don't say that. Uh, great work, boys. Have a great weekend, all three of you. We'll talk see, to you. See you, Kev. That is Kevin Bowen.
Coming to us from the Mower Shop in Fishers Hotline, the Mower Shop in Fishers for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment services, and so much more. They'll be covered at the Mower Shop in Fishers and themotorshop.com. You can follow Kevin on Twitter at KBO1070 and, of course, hear him weekdays here on The Fan, 7 to 10 a.m. with Jake Query, Kevin and Query. If you're not making it a part of your mornings, you should now. Always. We are, I feel like we're JMV right now. We're way over. Yeah, we went a little bit long with KB. I we figured are. that would happen with, with the Colts chaos and, and the Halliburton smack talk. And we the have IU officially Purdue. been crowned fellow JMV. We have. We, we have indeed. I, I think that I think we would be knighted by John if we, <laughs> we asked him to. That's Brendan King. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison did a great job guiding us through. We'll go more on the Colts, maybe a little bit more IU Purdue if you'd like to join the conversation. 317-239-1070 or of course join the YouTube chat. Search the Fan Midday Show. Always love the engagement on there. Back after this on The Fan. Thanks to Kevin Bowen and Eddie Gill. Halfway through on a Friday, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison. Eddie, you've got a busy day. Back-to-back busy days. Producing some Pacers later. I've got some Indiana Sports Talk updates later. So t- I have those uh, tomorrow night. That a boy. How about you, Jimmy? Uh... No, unfortunately, the uh, shout-out to the Ron Colley uh, Royals girls basketball team. Heck of a season, 18-win season for them, but their season ended earlier this week. So, oh, uh, did, I didn't know a that. A rare yes. uh, uh, Eddie's Decatur well, Central oh, that's Hawks what, okay. beat him at I'm the— I'm flexing the no muscles that I don't ba- have. Basically at the horn, <laughs> so congratulations to the girls. Heck of a season for them. Uh, boys just played last night. They play tomorrow. So, yeah, a little rare night off. Look at you. Yeah. You and the missus got plans? Not a ton. Um, I think she has plans to not see him. That could Ooh. very well be. Uh, but oh, well, I'm going to watch some Pacers, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to dabble in. I haven't even looked at the NFL schedule of stuff. I know they were doing with Pro Bowl weekend. That's so stupid. Yeah, I, I just want to. I, I want to either hate watch or or see what what all this is now. Is I need. I just want to know. I think. Well, I thought the Pro Bowl was so stupid to begin with. Just the concept just, of it. Just, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the Pro Bowl so dumb. Yeah, I mean it's it's at the bottom tier of. It's the worst All-Star game ever. Like, the NHL All-Star game is tomorrow in Sunrise, uh, home of the Florida Panthers, and they have made that game now a three-on-three tournament. That's cool. Because it was similar to the Pro Bowl where a five-on-five NHL All-Star game, for one, nobody hits each other, nobody skates, it's just a bunch of kind of meaningless So then what do they do on the ice if they don't skate? You know what I'm saying. (laughs) They don't skate hard. Three-on-three three is a much more open game. There's a lot of breakaways. It attracts the ordinary and kind of the superficial fan. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of goals. So I, I, I liked what they ended up doing. But to me, Jimmy, and this is probably the same for you, at least growing up, the of the MLB All-Star game going from the Home Run Derby and the MLB All-Star game was always an appointment television setup for me growing up. That was always the best. I know you're a big NBA yeah, yeah, All-Star no, no, game guy, yeah. but to me, middle of summer, home run derby one night to the All-Star game, that was always the best. I can't say as a child that I had the attention span for the entirety of like every All-Star game I had to be in front of it, but I'll take the other half of that, which is the home run derby. Yes, absolutely. Oh, well, Park especially when the juice right guys oh, were yeah. doing it. Oh, Maguire, so, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Barry Bonds, all for it. Yeah, Josh uh, Hamilton. No, when Josh Hamilton was hitting baseballs literally out <laughs> of Yankee Stadium. Yeah. yeah, no, that 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 for sure. Bobby Abreu, yep. Carlos Lee. And I, Ooh, Carlos Lee, what a name drop. Yeah, Carlos Lee. El Caballo, former Chicago yeah. White Sox, man. 2005. I hate the Sox, but 2005 world champ. 
Yeah, for me though, yeah, you are right. I have the bias, but yeah, I, even to this day, like I'll watch NBA All Star Saturday Night is appointment television for me, and then the All Star Game I'll always end up watching at some point. And I like how they've they've added in the Elam ending. I, I I like how they've again, it's still an All Star Game, right? You're not going to get the same intensity you're going to get in Game Seven of the Finals on the defensive end, but it's been entertaining with what the product is right now. Well, you asked Andrew Nemhard, are you more so a dunk contest or three point guy? Me, yeah. For years and years, it was dunk contest. It's kind of the beauty of it is going away. And it's, I'll even say in the last five years, because I thought the Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon dunk contest from, Jesus Christ, eight years ago now. My Jimmy. (laughs) uh, The whole thing is just. Aren't you not allowed to say that? I think that's fine. Is it not fine? If it's not fine, then dump it. And I apologize, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's fine. Um, the uh, oh, boy JC, uh, man. Uh, <laughs> the uh, you can't do the other Jimmy one. Jimmy Cook, right? You yeah, can't, you can't. You can't. You, 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 you can't do the other one, which we're obviously not going to do. Um, but the other one. Well, the if we were, we're this we're, the I, devil. Let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's head. Let's head away from this path. There are uh, other. You can tell me there, during the break. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, but for me. The dunk contest ever since then has kind of faded because that was I still watch it, but the three point shooting contest's been what it's about because you have the best shooters potentially in NBA history if you want to go that far in totality. Steph is yeah. definitely the greatest by metrically speaking, but yeah, and there's been that debate constantly the last three, four, five years of should the three point contest be what ends the night, and that's just something that would have seemed unfathomable. Uh, well, even 15 years ago. So what about you? I, I was always, so I, was, I wasn't the biggest NBA guy growing up, but I was always more interested in it when a player from either Chicago or a team that I relatively liked was in the contest. So the fact that Buddy Yield is going to be in the three-point shooting contest, I now have more of an interest in it. Just, I, I, it doesn't do a lot for me watching a bunch of guys just randomly from around the league, be it a Steph or a Clay, but the fact that Buddy's in it, I'll watch it, and it's kind of wild to think about how Buddy is one of the most prolific three-point shooters of all time, but does he have a shot on the three-point contest, especially if I'm Stephen sure there's value. It? I'm sure there's value there's there value. betting perspective. But still, like, you could take one of the best shooters ever, and he's like a, probably a mid, right. mid-range favorite. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the insanity of that event. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not as much of a, oh, you know, way, way back in the day, the dunk contests were so much better. I mean, yeah, maybe they probably were toward jump from the foul line. Yeah, it's insane. But I think there's been some intense Vince Carter. I mean, it is the top name in terms of the last, maybe ever. It's over. But, it's over. And that's where people say, oh, that's where the dunk contest died. I don't know. Levine and Gordon a couple of years ago was great as well. And on top of that, the reason this conversation matters more as we, you know, you're ready to step away here. But the reason it matters more again in Indiana is because you have participants, a part of All-Star Weekend, whether it is Rising Stars, whether it's three-point shootout, whether it is the actual game itself. You have representatives of this city, of the state, and of the team, and that's beautiful to be able to see people in the blue and gold out there this time in Salt Lake going to participate in all those festivities. Well, it's all going to be here next year at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the All-Star Festivities, just about a year away. Coming up at 2 o'clock, the great Joey Molinaro will be with us. Joey is down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, so he'll be calling in from down south. Looking forward to catching up with Joey. It's been a minute since we chatted. Thank you all. We'll enjoy that conversation. We're back to the Colts next on The Fan. Welcome back in the DriveHuber.com studios. Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon. 
Thank you for that. Since you want to jump the gun. You don't do it to open the show, and I do it to open the show when I'm behind there. So I, was told, I was told not to do that. Okay. Producer right. War. Right. Well, nobody's told me that, so that I get in the mindset of that I need to go when I hear music. So I apologize. It's on me for jumping the gun. Let's rewind the tape real quick. False start. Let's rewind the tape real quick. That's- Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Alongside Brett and King, I'm Jimmy Cook. Thanks so much for joining us. It's that guy. <laughs> Jerome Burger or Boger, sorry. That's a five yard penalty. Thank you. Thank you for that. Still first now. Going to be joining us here in about nine minutes, eight and a half or so. Jolie Molinaro going to take some time with us. He's down in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. Getting a piece of all of that, taking it in as they have what is just a really nice week in general out there for the Reese's Senior Bowl and a real last best opportunity for those that are trying to of that senior class that are trying to make a name for themselves within the NFL draft and within the next hurdle before the scouting combine I haven't had the opportunity to go down there but everybody I've talked to that's been down there seems awesome says the blast seems awesome yeah I haven't had the opportunity either but yeah I mean Joey's been making the rounds he uh he was at Cubs convention he just got retweeted by Jim Ursay. guys all over Joey's always done a phenomenal job. Obviously, a former coworker of ours, former classmate of mine, and former classmate of Eddie's as well. Very exciting to continue to see his ascension and, and all the great things he's doing. And in general, nice to catch up and get his take on a lot of different things. Uh, we'll talk about the Colts head coaching search, talk about what he's seen down there at the Senior Bowl, talk about the Jim Mersey uh, hitting him up with the laughing emoji on that quote tweet, as Brennan alluded to. And then we'll get his take as well even though I think I have an idea of where it's going to go, but maybe not, of Purdue-Indiana this weekend. We talked about it a little bit at the top of the show, BK. We'll continue to dive into it a little deeper in the second hour of the program, but this is the marquee rivalry game at a minimum in the Midwest. It is the, in my mind, top game on the college slate, and I would argue it's as pound for pound just as good as any other rivalry in the country. But of course, the top billing, and we had Lafonso Ellis on yesterday, and he kind of stressed it as well. It's hard to argue the numbers. They're split 50-50. Duke, North Carolina is right there. But this is Indiana. That's not, that's not even me trying to be funny. This is Indiana. Yeah, we State. do it big. <laughs> uh, this is as big a matchup as you could see on the schedule, and the fact that it's one of them, this case the Pro Bowler makers holding the top ranking in the land, just adds a little, little extra window dressing on what should be a a raucous assembly hall tomorrow. Again, Jamie, we'll get into it during the 2 o'clock hour, but to me, as we talked about last time I was here, not sure if Jordan Geronimo can play. Not sure if he'll be out of the boot. If he can play, that... If Jordan Geronimo plays, I would be more so on your side of the aisle and Kevin's side of the aisle than IU can go win this game. Purdue is so athletic, and they defend so well and so hard, IU needs to match that. Now, can a freshman in Hood Shafino do that against another freshman? Probably. The big question's in the post. The massive question is in the post. If Geronimo can play, and let's say that at any given time you have Thompson, Trace Jackson Davis, and Geronimo on the floor all together, to me that can at least, in a way, stall Edie. You're not going to stop about. him. What? I know we're talking about this right now. 
Kyrie Irving just requested a trade out of Brooklyn. Oh! But yeah, if Jordan Geronimo Shams, plays, that completely changes Shams it. Sharania, yep. Well, that is something we'll continue Has to monitor. Has everybody now requested a trade out of Brooklyn at least once? I suppose so. But like you were saying, Jordan Geronimo is like the key piece for Indiana, in my opinion, because we talked about this earlier in the week too, Jimmy. I think it was after that Maryland game. I think I may have said this on John's show, but... What's so funny? It's not him. I'll get to it in a second. Like, Geronimo brings athleticism off the bench, and he's that he's that spark of offense occasionally, too, for Indiana on the inside. I mean, he can get up there in terms of his athletic ability to jump with Zach Eady, and he can help throw another body on Zach Eady because I think that's what you're going to have to do in order to limit him from scoring inside. But if he can't go, that IU interior defense is so undersized and Malik Renew can't stop fouling either. And if you get him against Caleb First or Zach Eady occasionally, they are just going to eat him alive. And I think you and I are in agreement. And again, we'll dive into this in the 2.30 stretch and we'll take your phone calls at that point as as well if you'd like. 317-239-1070. I need to see, and we, we agreed on this yesterday, Eddie, I need to see Renew and Thompson's minutes flipped. I still won't race a part of this, but particularly on the defensive end, he's at times looks like a liability. And that's not a knock on on him fully, because him at 100% isn't that. But I, at this point, I would like to see those minutes flip-flop. And that doesn't change that much for me with Purdue being on the dance card. Does it flop at all for you? I guess, yeah, my bad. All right, yeah, we'll get your thoughts on that in depth a tease. as well uh, at the bottom of this upcoming hour. But first, friend of ours, friend of the show, Joey Molinero, going to take some time with us. I'm sure we'll have some few laughs and his overall thoughts on not just the Colts head coaching search in Purdue IU, but again, what he's learned so far at this point down at the Senior Bowl. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on the Fan Midday Show. Joey Molinero stops by next. See, I wait for the drop. It's because you're a pro. It's my first time behind a microphone. Yeah. Take it easy on me. No. Uh, BK, Jay Cook, Eddie Garrison, drivehubler.com studio. It is good to check in with our guy, Joey Molinaro. You know him, you love him. All those social media impressions, skits, videos. Joey, our guy who got his start here with the fan, and he's with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com from down in Mobile. My man, Joey, how's the Senior Bowl? Senior Bowl is good, man. Uh, I got to ask, though, yeah. with you going by BK, are, are you seeing any royalties with these Burger King commercials <laughs> that are going nuts? Have it your way. No, I. you know, I have not seen... Whopper, 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 whopper. <laughs> <laughs> I've I have not seen any checks in the mail, brother, but but maybe someday, you know. Okay. I just didn't know if they were sending you anything or if they've totally ruined your life yet. So no, no, I, I you know what? I, I got called Burger King enough in second and third grade every time I saw somebody that it's just scarred in my mind, so now that everybody's sending me that stuff, <laughs> it just brings up PTSD from grade school, to be honest with you. Well, I'm sorry I had to trigger you on a Friday. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so I, I, I guess I should have realized this. I was wondering what toe I should dip in the water if we were going to start silly or end silly, and I liked it. Joey has taken us down the silly road right away, so I'm going to start this way then. Uh, Joey, you tweeted out three hours ago about being at the Senior Bowl, your top five senior citizens. Um, yeah. I know how big a Star Wars guy you are. So yeah. are we pandering a little bit with Lee Corso in the top spot over Yoda? 
Well, you know, I had to tip the cap to Lee Corso, you know, given the fact that he's a real person. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Yoda, that's where I felt like I walked the fine line Fair. there because Yoda and, you know, fantasy senior citizens is definitely the top spot. Uh, but given the fact that uh, it was a mix of both, uh, you know, fictional and real folks, because you see I had Frank Costanza yep. at number Goat. five. A classic there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the fine line there that I walked is that Lee Corso is, in fact, a uh, person among us, and Yoda is, uh, <laughs> you know, a Muppet far, far away. Uh, hey, this might be a hard question, and I'm not going to ask you for your favorite because it's impossible, but Seinfeld episode that stands out to you that you love. Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, man. See, that's like – it's a hard question. That, that's why I didn't ask for your favorite. And, and, and I love all of them so much. Uh, What's one that you, you watched know, lately? Then, well, I like you know I like the ones like uh, the the one uh, where they go to the mall in the parking garage and they can't find the <laughs> car that they came in. Yeah. Um, I love the, uh, the 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 Chinese restaurant, right? <laughs> where they're just in the Chinese restaurant for the entire time. You know, the ones that they really drive home the fact of how it's a show about nothing. Um, I think that's fantastic, you know, because it's just like what if you can make a 30 minute sitcom episode and, and that kind of comedy and laughter out of that, you're doing something right. So those, those are, those are typically my favorite. And then anything, I mean, uh, pretty much all of them center around something to do with George and thankfully so, but I mean, Costanza is probably my, all-time favorite TV character, you know? Man. So anything with George is is, is, is all-time for me. Well, I, I love the little skit modern Seinfeld videos. Those are fantastic. If you haven't seen those, check That's out fun. Joey's Twitter. At Joey Molinero. Mine is uh, the black and white cookie where it's just Jerry and Elaine oh, yeah. in the bakery, the cinnamon and chocolate babka. Those are – Oh, yeah. That's, that's a great one. And you know what? Shout out to um, if you guys are looking for those, right? Because Jerry makes them look so good on that episode. Yeah. Uh, Trader Trader Joe's Bobcas. They actually have them. They dude. They have like a, a a box of like eight, and they're kind of smaller ones. Okay. But they're fantastic. Yeah, they're like the perfect. Like Jerry says, you know, it's a perfect harmony and and, and ah yes, the black and, and white cookie. Like, Right, the black and white cookie, and then you have, uh, and then you, you know, it's just just the right amount after dinner. It's not too much of, you know, you're not eating a whole cookie, you're not eating a whole piece of cake or a carton of ice cream. It's like a little mini one. You get the sweets, you're good to go. Check it out if you're wanting one of those. It's really, really good. I love it. Joey Molinero, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MotorShop.com. You can obviously follow him on Twitter if you aren't already, and if you're not, what are you doing? You can follow him on Twitter at Joey Molinero. Joey, when... Did you add or or because I know you obviously started out like you always tell uh, you with your buddies before before you started uh, posting on social media with your Nick Saban impersonations. Uh-huh. Uh, how early on did you know you had a good Jim Irsay down, or was that one you've added in the last two or three years? Yeah, it's a good question, uh, Jay Cook. I haven't I haven't uh, been asked that much about Irsay. That's been one that's been. Yeah, probably the last two or three years. I'd say um, right before the pandemic hit, I was kind of uh, experimenting around with with Ursa, and so then 
We dropped a couple of him, like trying to recruit Andrew Luck back to the Colts. <laughs> uh, you know, they try to keep to try to keep the luck alive, and so really, I kind of stumbled upon it because it was like I was using that premise as an avenue to bring the luck around because he was retired. Right. But then in that, found hey, you know, I don't have too bad of an essay, you know. So um, added that to the arsenal, and then once. Obviously, luck is you know no no more, and and is uh, you know the NFL Bigfoot, if you will. Like you just it, whenever you see him around, you're like, holy god, he's still alive. This is crazy. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, and then with that, so with their say, I was like, eh, I've sat in on enough Chris Ballard press conferences and heard his sound bites. Let's let's fire that one up. And uh, yeah, so then added in Chris, and that's really made a fun dynamic there with uh, all the craziness that's going on <laughs> over there on West 56th Street over the last couple of years. Joey Molinero is our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the MowerShop.com. So, Joey, you put out the Ursay Ballard head coaching shirts video on January 27th. You wake up sometime on January 31st. Jim Ursay is quote tweeting you with a laughing emoji. Your thoughts immediately after that are what good for him for being able to laugh at himself i guess number one uh and then number two is it can't be too good for jeff saturday's uh candidacy for head coach right now given the fact that uh the entire premise of it is chris ballard just telling jim that uh He's not an nfl head coach so i don't see here's the thing though is i don't know if that with Mr. Ursay, I don't know if he's laughing at it as like, oh, my God, that, you know, that's so true. We're not going to hire Jeff. Or if he's laughing at it like, you're damn right I'm going to do it. You know, like he's just so excited to say I'm going to laugh in your face because that's exactly what I'm going to do. So it's going to be fun to see you here over the next, I don't know, for, for, for what we see with the Colts head coaching search right now, it could be the next week or it could be until training camp before they have a head coach. Who knows? So it should be fun to watch. Are you... my, favorite thing, my, my, my favorite thing about – so like I was thinking about this real quick. Like My favorite thing about Jim Irsay is the fact that everyone is always like, oh, Jim Irsay, he's, you know, this, this man's a little unhinged, right? Like he's – we never know what Mr. Say is going to do, right? And I'm like, wouldn't you be unhinged if you were an NFL owner? Like, this man has millions, billions of dollars to, to run a football team, right? Like, if I win a $300 parlay bet, I'm like, we're getting bottle service tonight, guys. Let's go. Like, I don't know what you want from this guy. I, I, I kind of don't blame him. Would you agree, though, that, and, and, and maybe it's it's not fair, but, like, he, he is the one that, you often immediately think of when you go off the list. I mean, Jerry Jones is probably on there as well. Robert Kraft recently, the last two or three years. Like, he, he's of those first three or four owners you think of when you think of owners that you don't want to try to read tea leaves on because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, no. And each of those, each of those for like different reasons, kind of, <laughs> you know, like Jerry isn't as necessarily unhinged as just the fact that like he just, he, he's kind of a, I don't know if I could say, but yeah, he just he just loves the, the the camera and loves himself some Jerry so much. Mm-hmm. So like he always wants to be cut away. Yeah. He always wants to have the interview. He always wants to be seen on the field. We know all that. Um, but then yeah, with with Mister Ursay, it seems like he's kind of, uh, and this may scare some Colts fans, but it seems like he's really trying to model himself after the late Al Davis. Uh, <laughs> so I don't, you know, it's it's uh, it's inter. I'd say, but I don't know if um, in terms of 
you know, the football personnel are kind of the results that you're wanting if that's the best thing. But, you know, I got to, again, I got to tip my cap for laughing at himself apparently, and I got to tip my cap to him just leaning fully into, you know what, I'm Jim Mercer. I'm going to be firing from the, 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 you know, the hip of my – I don't even know what that saying is. Firing from the seat of my pants, is that what it is? Close, I think, yeah. I'll give it to you. I, yeah, you that sounds it good. <laughs> flying from the seat of my pants. There it is. I, there I don't it is. know. My yeah. wife is trying to say that's what it is. One of those things. I'm, I'm, this is what – this is perfect for Ursay because he wouldn't know what it is either. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey Molinaro is our guest with us on the Mower Shop and Fishers Hotline. Joey, changing the attention to tomorrow afternoon in Bloomington, big ball game, Purdue and IU both are ranked for the first time in a while going into a matchup. I know, well, we know where your heritage lies when it comes to that, but your thoughts on what's happening tomorrow at Assembly Hall? Yeah, man. I, you know, I take off my, uh, my my Purdue crew neck for a second. I guess just look at from, like you said. I mean, we all grew up. Well, BK, did you grow up in Indiana? I can't remember. Uh, Chicago Southside. Chicago. Okay. Well, you know, what Jimmy knows that. Like, if you're growing up, it's like you have your different things in in the state of Indiana that everybody kind of has like a different feel about, right? Yep. You know, and and like Purdue IU you know, in February or January or early March was always like one of those. It's like, even if you're not really, you didn't go to the schools or you're really a fan of either of the schools, like you're kind of like, Oh yeah, Purdue IU this way. Like you, you know that it's happening. So it's, I mean, it's a big deal. So, and especially when both of them are ranked, um, that makes it an even bigger deal. And then the fact that Purdue is off to the best start in school history and they're number one in the country an even bigger deal. Right. So, um, but then putting on my, my, my Purdue hat, it's like, I just I hate I I don't like Assembly Hall. I don't like watching games there. I don't like the construction of it. It's so steep. It's so narrow. It's so I just I'm not a fan of Assembly Hall at all, really. And the fact that people want to online talk about the comparison of Assembly Hall versus Mackey Arena, I just I I don't I don't really see the. I don't really see the parallels there at all. Uh, I think Mackey blows it away in both construction as well as fan environment, as well as noise, as well as all home court advantage, all that. Um, so, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, that IU is going to come out um, hot and, and, and really, really fired up. And I'm sure that Purdue will have to take multiple punches, right? Um, but you know, Purdue has shown time and time again this year, multiple times over the past, you know, seven to 10 years, I'd say down in Bloomington that they'll take the punches and they'll fire right back. And whether they have to get out of there with a four point win, or hopefully if they can smack them by 24, then, uh, I think they'll do that. Have your expectations changed over the, I mean, I know that the tournament runs have ended shorter than Purdue fans would like, but have your expectations changed at all as a Purdue fan or as a Purdue supporter uh, over the last three or four years where you've seen them pretty consistently uh, towards the top of the polls? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, it is, you know, it, it's frustrating and there's always that kind of um, gloom and doom hanging over the sure. top uh, of your head you know, to where it kind of starts creeping in, right, at certain moments of like, oh, this is great, right? But, you know, what, what's going to happen the third weekend in March, you know? <laughs> or this is fun, but what's, you know, I feel like it's kind of there. Right. Um, but, hey, I mean, you know, BK knows as a Cubs guy. Jimmy, you know me as a, as a big Cubs guy. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it's got it's got got to break through eventually. Yeah, Seal, Seals got to break eventually. You know, and if uh, it can happen for uh, the Northsiders up there in baseball, then you know I have faith that uh, you know Matt Painter is a good enough coach, and uh, you know the players and the, the culture and the program that has been set there that. You know, you get enough, you get enough tries at it, then by golly, I mean, just by default, eventually it's going to break through, right? You're going to be hopefully this year the number one overall seed, which you know on paper in turn should give you the easiest path, right, to to yep. getting to that final four and the national championship. So, yeah, I think I'm as a, you know, I'm kind of crossing all paths here, but I, you know, I, as you look at the regular season in any sport, you know, I think you really, really have to realize how important that is. You know, as a Steelers fan, it's like, yeah, we went seven and two down the stretch, but it doesn't matter when you go two and six uh, to start the season, right? And it's like, look at the Eagles. They go 14 and three or whatever it is. They have quite literally the easiest path to the Super Bowl of all time. And people are complaining about that now. I'm like, well, that that's why you go 14 and three in the regular season. So you can have that easiest path to the right. Super Bowl, the path of least resistance, right? So, Hopefully that's what we're seeing with Purdue um, is that they'll continue to dominate the Big Ten down the stretch. Um, hopefully win the Big Ten tournament, you know, and, and, and set themselves up to be that top overall seed and, and make it to where it's the absolute path of least resistance. You earn it through the regular season, get in there, take care of business in the tournament, and, and finally break through. Joey, do you get a sense that this Purdue team is different when it comes to being over, able to overachieve potentially this year in the NCAA tournament? I, re, I realize things have to go your way, and, and you got to get in the right section, and you got to probably win some games that you're not supposed to down the stretch. But is this Purdue team to you different? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think at this point they've shown. I mean, like I said, it's, and, and and Matt Painter said it uh, in the locker room. I think before that Minnesota game. Um, you know, talking about how, you know, if you win this game, it's, it's the best start in the history of free basketball, right? So, you know, I, I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, before the season looking at where they are now. But, I, I mean, I think you throw those out now because you've shown over a 20-game stretch here to start the season that, one, you started the best that any team has started in the history of Purdue basketball. Uh, and, two, uh, you've been number one in the country for majority of the season. So, at this point, I, I think you have to readjust those expectations and those goals and you got to say hey i mean this this is our this is who we are uh and the expectation and the goal should be no less than a final four appearance maybe a national championship you know so that that's where you are right now i mean you have the the biggest mismatch problem the, the best player in the country right now and zach Eady. um so i feel like you throw all those things combined it doesn't matter really what all of us are thinking september october leading up into the season now, as you sit here a month away from, you know, the big dance starting, you got to say, well, we need to be in Houston, right? I mean, this is, we were supposed to be in New Orleans last year. We need to be in Houston this year. And, you know, you got to get, just got to make it happen at the end of the day. Joey, this is a, I apologize for the awkwardness of the opening part of this question, but the, you'll see why I'm asking it in a second. Um, you, there's a number of places people can find your work, but one of them, at least as you have listed on your Twitter bio, is the 33rd team. Um, yeah. what, what, what all do you do for them? Uh, yeah, so uh, right now I'm just contracted out to do one video a week uh, for them. Um, and then there, there's various – so a lot of these partnerships I do, it's kind of like that. You know, like they'll, they'll contract me out to do, uh, you know, a video a week or two videos a week or whatever. Um, but then with that, every now and then, if they're like, hey, we're doing a giveaway or, hey, we want to enlist you to do this. 
um, then I'll do that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, with them, uh, just a video a week. Uh, the 33rd team is really, really cool. It's, um, you know, just a collection of, of current and former um, NFL players, NFL coaches, NFL uh, GMs. So we got the likes of uh, Bill Cowher, Bill Parcells, um, you know, current guys playing in the league right now, uh, the, the St. Brown brothers, uh, Max Crosby, um, Trayvon Diggs from, from Dallas. Uh, and we really hit, excuse me, we hit all kind of angles. You know, those, those guys bring, you know, the insight of what's going on on the field or, or in the, the front office. Uh, we got our own um, kind of Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, and Ari uh, Myrov. He's You've seen him on Twitter, I'm yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, at my, my Sports Update. He's on there. Uh, then you got myself doing, you know, more comedic things, right? Kind of the lighter side, having fun, poking fun at, at, at professional football. So it's a really, really great collection of people with great insight. Uh, so 3013.com and then at 3013 on all social media channels. Uh, I encourage any, any football fan to, to check it out. Well, I asked that because, and again, it, that would mean that you're probably not involved in this particular big board, but they do have a big board up on 33rdteam.com for the upcoming NFL draft. And yeah. they have Levis the highest I've seen him. They have him as the top quarterback off the board. Uh, again, it's not a mock draft, but he's slated fourth overall, so that would be obviously the Colts. Again, they're not mocking him there, but your overall thoughts on Levis and just in general uh, the seniors that you were able to kind of consume or, or see this week and where you rank uh, the quarterbacks right now that could be in Indianapolis come two months from now. Yeah, it's interesting, man. It's going to be, you know, uh, kind of continuing with the point of Jim Mercer, Chris Ballard. I joke with my buddies is, you know, you, you can't, you can't, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, at least the Colts are interesting. You know, <laughs> they may not be, you know, great, but like there's always something, whether it's a head coach, whether it's a quarterback, and now you got both of them in the same offseason. Uh, but there is actually a few mock drafts that has uh, Levis going to the Colts for their third team. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I, a guy that I trust very, very much who is really high up in terms of the NFL scouting world. Um, yeah, I talked with him and talked to him about that, and he, he, he kind of straight up with me. He's just like, man, he really needed to be at the Senior Bowl this week. Um, talking about Levis, right. like, um, he, did, he didn't have a very good year, and he's really just not a very instinctive player. Um, so I, I, I think when you look at you know somebody like that saying um, something like that about Levis, it's just you, you kind of take away what you're looking at is just – you know, and maybe maybe he, he doesn't have a great feel in the pocket, right? Maybe he's kind of a one-read kind of guy, and then it doesn't really fully develop into where you want him to be coming in to where the Colts are going to need him right away pretty much to be your franchise guy. Um, now, the positive I'll say about Levis is, you know, uh, cannon of an arm, right? I mean, that's well-documented. Um, you look at what he did, not this past year, but the year before in the SEC, um, 11 wins, right, and, and, and really uh, playing well throughout the SEC kind of gauntlet and doing what not a lot of Kentucky teams have done. Um, so I think that's a positive for him, you know. But, you know, at the end of the day for me, I, I, I kind of – uh, I don't know if it's just my Nick Saban tie or what. But, uh, <laughs> I, I personally, I personally feel like Bryce Young is uh, is a guy you, you got to kind of go get. There's a there's another dude. I think uh, I can't remember which front office member, GM, former GM who who works with me at 3013. But he's just quoted as saying that he's he's like the Steph Curry of the NFL, or he's going to be like the Steph Curry of the NFL. Right, talking about Bryce Young, and you know, I think looking at. Yeah, he's a little undersized, and there's some people that would knock him for that, but he's 
such a he's the opposite of what I was told about Will Levis. He's such an instinctive player. He's such a natural playmaker. He's such an assassin in the pocket that that all makes up for the lack of size that he has. Uh, you know, when he's doing the the height and weight measurements at the combine, you know. Um, so. And, and, and you see what he's done. I mean, he's the Heisman winner, uh, the first quarterback Heisman winner for Alabama. Um, you know, and you've seen what he's done um, against SEC play his two years as a starter coming in right away. So, for me, I'm a Bryce Young guy looking at it. Um, if you're going to be the Colts, I, I feel like he's a guy that you that you got to go get. And I know a lot of people, especially my buddies, are big on C.J. Stroud, but I don't know. I, I just think that's going to be a weird adjustment for him. Um Coming in, you know, he had the literally he had an NFL wide receiver room uh, in college, and I know people will uh, think that you know automatically about Alabama. But if you look at this Alabama team, especially this past year, right? Uh, they were really, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they'll have a, a, a top three, four round guy coming out of there as a wide receiver um, on this team, you know. So he 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 was working with definitely not the same kind of tools that that uh, CJ Stroud is. Um, and so, uh, you know, all those things just makes me more of a Bryce Young guy. I think that he's a face of the franchise type of talent, a special type of talent. And uh, I think if he were to land in Indianapolis, that eventually everybody would be pretty happy about it. Joey Molinaro, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Joey, I know you're busy, but not sure if you have seen Tyrese Halliburton has changed his Twitter picture to a photo of Wally Zerviak. He is Indianapolis' own all-star. I know you have been tweeting about him, the game he played last night. I realize the Pacers lose to the Lakers, but, man, we got a guy, and hopefully, man, he's here to stay for a long time. Yeah, it's kind of it's very exciting. I I I'm a big fan of Tyrese Halliburton. Um, it, it's it's exciting as a Pacers fan to look and to think about the potential future with a guy like him, the extension of Turner, and everything, the kind of different pieces that that KP and everybody's putting together over there. But at the same time, it's kind of one of those uh, you know kind of going back to the Purdue fandom in me. Like we we we've seen the Pacers have their guy. You know, we've we've seen it multiple times over the past ten years. Uh, and, and each and every time that we felt, this is our guy. This is our guy that's going to be on the map. He's going to be the next Reggie, if you will. It's going to stay here and take us back to the conference finals and take us back to the finals. Uh, it's all ended in an absolute train wreck dumpster fire. Uh, so, again, I am thrilled. I'm, I'm like, so excited about Tyrese and, and, and Benny Math and, and Miles Turner. I think that young core right there is phenomenal and it's something to be super excited about and it's going to be a product worth going to the field house and, and watching on TV if you can find Valley Sports somehow um, but I, I just have that little thing in the back of my head that's like what's going to happen when Tyrese is a three-time all-star in a row and maybe a first-team all-NBA player is he, and he's you know not 23 or whatever you know is he going to start to get that Paul George is he going to start to get that Victor Oladipo and I know people will be like he's not that kind of guy I'm like you all how quickly we forget we said the same thing yep. about Paul George yep. we said the same thing about Victor Oladipo so again let me be clear super pumped I love Tyrese Halliburton I think he I, I think that it's going to be different I really truly do but there's just that thing in the back of my head that that gets me. I don't know. Maybe it's just like I said with with hoops, the Purdue hoops. It's just a little pessimism in me. I don't know, uh, but I, I just do take it with a grain of salt. But overall, super pumped and excited. Joey, last thing on my front. Obviously, you have so many different 
impressions that you could break out and obviously the, the podcast in general you and Ben Plizzy have been doing is rolling right along uh what is your what's your favorite new thing that you're working on right now whether that is a voice whether that is just a recent project you've been working on that you're proud of what's the what's the top new thing in the arsenal right now yeah, definitely. Um, the, these guys with uh, Ben Polizzi, uh, that that's something that I'm super pumped and have a lot of fun doing. Uh, me and him, we have a show where we just have fun, joke around, and, and BS for an hour and release it every week on Tuesdays. So you can find that anywhere you get your podcast or definitely on YouTube. We do a YouTube show, you know, so you can throw it up on there. I know people love watching podcasts via YouTube, just like people are on YouTube live with you guys right now. Um, you know, just search these guys and, and give us a subscribe and a follow there if you would. We have a, a ton of fun. Um, but then also, man, I mean, just for my own YouTube channel, really, you know, a goal coming into 2023 was to, you know, continue doing my work on my, my social channels, uh, you know, with like kind of the quick sketches and everything like that. But also, you know, looking into, you know, doing more long form, both um, comedy and long form, you know, kind of interview and, and you know, football or sports based stuff. And uh, got to put all that on, on my YouTube channel to where it's more than just, you know, kind of the minute long sketches or what have you, but people can really kind of get a full roundabout experience where they can, you know, have a series where each episode's 10 minutes long or whatever, or, or a full modern Seinfeld sketch that's five minutes long or, or what have you. So just trying to grow that. And, and, and my YouTube channel is just my name, just Joey Molinaro. Uh, so if everybody in my uh, hometown station where uh, you know I started, like you said, would want to give me a subscribe and a follow, it, it'd be uh, truly appreciated. Joey, last thing before we let you go, you and I connected a little bit at Cubs convention uh, a few weeks ago, yeah. and you were out there doing interviews. I saw you interviewed uh, my guy Brennan Davis, who is the future stud center fielder for the Cubbies. Uh, you enjoy your conversation with B because he's the best. Yeah, man, he was he was awesome. I mean, what a, what an uh, impressive guy. What an impressive uh, physical specimen. I mean, that dude's huge. He's tall. He's got broad shoulders. And like you said, he's, he's going to be a center fielder. And so you think about having that kind of size and then he's going to be flying around out there. It's uh, again, I, I think um, like, like with our Pacers, I think uh, the future on the North side is, is bright and, and there's a lot of young talent that's coming up, whether it's, BD or, or Pete Crow Armstrong, oh, yeah. Mervis, uh, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot of those guys and seeing a lot of them here soon. So very exciting stuff. And, and he was a great guy. He even hit me up. He was like, Hey man, let's do some content together and everything. So he's thinking about, he's thinking about the brand too. So <laughs> I love appreciate it. That. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, Hey, Hey Joe, I tell you what, this summer, anytime you want to take in a South Bend Cubs game with the family, you text me, I got you tickets anytime, brother. Hey, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, love what you're doing. Congrats on uh, you know your success, and and, and uh, keep crushing on the fan and uh, boiler up. Hi, right, Joey. We'll talk soon. Later. Go See you, my man. <laughs> Perfect timing, by the way. Uh, Joey Molinero taking some time. We are grateful for his time on the guest line. Brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers. And themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. How about your thoughts? Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Here from the DriveHuber.com studios. Special thanks, Eddie Gill, Kevin Bowen, Joey Monero, taking some time with us throughout. Getting us set as the Colts coaching search rolls on and also for a massive weekend in college hoops, particularly here locally. Number one, Purdue against 21st ranked Indiana. We asked for it. If you'd like to join the conversation, get either your venting or your thoughts, analysis, questions, Regarding Indiana and Purdue, you can join that conversation right now. 317-239-1070. The 216th meeting 
all time between these two, the most played rivalry in the Big Ten. Let's head to the phone lines and hear from Jay. Jay, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, BK. What's up? It's Jared. Uh, this was Jimmy, but that's okay. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. This continue. is BK, though. What's up? Hey, uh, excited for the game tomorrow. Going to be fun. Question for you. Just been a Purdue fan for years. As I look at IU, you know, we're in the state of Indiana. Got a ton of shooters. Every year, Purdue seems to have that guy. It's Fletcher Lawyer this year. It's Ryan Klein. It's Ryan Smith. Mm. Kendall Stevens. Matthias. How come you guys think IU doesn't have a shooter? You're in a year out. A guy that can just run off screens, knock down shots. I feel like they haven't had someone like that since Jordan Holt, so I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that. I feel like that's what Miller Cop's supposed to be. That's again, that's right? the key word there, right? He's supposed, supposed to be. be, and there's nights where he definitely is, and there's nights where it's not there. I mean, yeah, look, three-point shooting has been the biggest missing piece over the last four or five years, and there's been times... I mean, look, they're... Throw the Maryland game off the board. They were second in the Big Ten in terms of three-point shooting percentage behind Penn State, a team that pretty rolled by 20 the other night. So, I mean, does it really matter in this matchup all that much? Yeah, I mean, it's a game-changer, right? We know the three-point shot is the is the equalizer, the ultimate equalizer in college basketball, all that fun stuff. You can cut runs down in a second, not just college basketball, but the league as a whole. I mean, I don't know. There's been – it's a great question. I mean, that, that goes deeper in terms of the type of player that you're bringing to Indiana, but also – they have guys that can knock down that shot just because Trace Jackson Davis, it's not in his arsenal. doesn't mean you don't have weapons that can do it. Miller Cop is there. Uh, you're not asking and begging Race Thompson to do it, but you've seen him hit from beyond the arc. Trey Galloway can do that. Is it as effective as the, the guard play that's been at Purdue over that stretch? I, I'm willing to concede that point, but I'm also willing to concede that a lot of the game-wrecking ability not only relies on Trace Jackson Davis, but also relies on I use defense. And if they're not able to forget limiting Edie or taking him out of the equation, because I've told you, let him get get his, because he's probably going to do it. Let Trace Jackson Davis do his best and roll from there. They're going to have other problems to worry about if they're not able to slow Purdue down as an entire unit tomorrow afternoon. There's one little caveat I want to make to you saying, oh yeah, I use second in the Big Ten in three-point shooting. They're last in attempts. I mean, that's fair because, they, again, so, I mean, I understand that what you're trying to say, but you also have to throw it out there. They're shooting the fewest amount of threes in the Big Ten. That's fair. That has not really. Has it hindered them to an extent? Yes, but they've still been able to ride a wave of, hey, we're still a top team in this conference. Are they as are they as good as they were supposed to be and projected to be the start of the year? No, they're not. Is Purdue is bad? Purdue wasn't projected to be bad, but. Purdue wasn't picked to be the front runner in the conference this year. They are. Things happen over the course of the season. That is an important caveat. I'm not disagreeing with that. But they're also, they know that's not a high-level strength of this team. They're not chucking them in the ocean to the point that they're bottom of the barrel in the Big Ten. So you see minimum attempts. I see they've been efficient and are only taking them either when they need them or when they're confident they can knock them down. Does that limit how far you can go in today's game? Yes. But they know their strengths. Guys, to me, the X factor of this game is Jordan Geronimo. If he plays, I think IU wins the game. If he doesn't play, I think Purdue wins the game. That's how important defensively he can matter yes. in this game. But how much does that sway for you? When you say that, again, because I, I we think want it, the win, but is this is this suddenly a 15-point win for Purdue? No, I, I think on the, your mind? the game is going to be a toss-up. Yeah, I mean, the, the books have it that way, at least from I, what we've been I, told. I don't bet against Vegas. If they say it's going to be a toss-up, to me, that's what it is. 
But where the toss-up goes is Jordan Geronimo. Because not what he can do on the offensive side of the floor, what he can do on the defensive side of the floor. If he plays, he needs to be a part of making Zach Zach Eady's life miserable. Because Trace Jackson Davis can't do it by himself, neither can Race Thompson. But if you kind of command on him with three guys, and you tire him out, and you maybe even make him pick up some silly fouls, that can be the difference in the game right there. Plus, as athletic as Mason Gillis is, Jordan Geronimo has the ability to defend in the post and on the perimeter. So if Gillis starts going off like he did the other night against Penn State... You can shift Geronimo around a little bit depending on what you need. My other, and this isn't really an X factor, it's just a factor and a massive factor at that. Last five games, Trace Jackson Davis, 25 and 15. Somebody tweeted at me the other day, and I didn't engage with them because I don't like these conversations because they're futile. But somebody asked me, oh, where does where does Trace Jackson Davis rank amongst the all-time greats of Indiana? It's a if, fair it, question, though. It, it is a fair question. But it all depends on what you're measuring it. Well, again, that brings up the Brady thing. Do you? But but this is my. Bring, you bring up wins. This is my. But this is my point, though, in terms of what kind of conversation you want to have. This is a number one ranked Purdue team coming into Assembly Hall. And in general, depending on what Trace Jackson Davis wants to do, obviously he wants to play at the next level. It's been made clear by his coaching staff, and I believe it too, that he can play at the next level. Uh, how much can he succeed? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's tough to be a big man and not have some type of true, consistent, mid-range accident at minimum. And he's gotten a little better at that, but but he dominates inside. Regardless of his strengths and weaknesses, that's not my point here. My point is, I need 30 or 35 from Trace Jackson Davis. I need 8 or 9 assists. And I need 15 rebounds. I need a statement game from him alone at a minimum in this matchup against Edie. And I need him staying out of foul trouble because there's going to be times where, yes, he's going to draw that assignment. And Painter has complained, rightfully so, I think, that they let people knock the tar out of Edie. Yeah. Because of how big he is and what else are you supposed to do? I think he's got a point. He does. But but if that is the case... And you know that maybe that is something that as it's continued to be asked for, maybe it, it gets granted more often to Edie. I need a good, clean, physical... You're not going to punk Zach Edie, but I need a... It was clear Trace Jackson Davis won that matchup every time they were on the floor together in one-on-one situations. I hope they let him play. Me too. I, I really hope they let him play. I don't know if they will, because referees want to get control of a game right away, usually. And the way they do that is... The whistles usually come out early. But I hope they let him play. Now, to go back to your point of where does Trace Jackson Davis rank all time? Jimmy, this is a, this is where I think you and I differ. And th- this was part of the Tom Brady chat the other day, which is fine. But I measure greatness off wins and rings and what you do when the moments matter most. Now, you brought up the Aaron Rodgers thing, which Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks of all time, but... If I understand right, you lean Aaron Rodgers because of what he's done on the field, more so stats, yeah? Wins aren't a quarterback stat. That's fine. No, that's fine. I judge greatness off of wins. To me, if Trace Jackson Davis is going to go down as an all-time great, he's got to win an NCAA tournament game that's not in Dayton. I mean, I would argue for going off of that, he has to win a national championship. Well, uh, that's that's difficult to, that's difficult to say, to, though, at a place I understand like that. that. That's why I don't do it, because... It, but I, 
I, I'm not saying the GOAT. I'm not saying he's going to go go down as the... Uh, to even be in the conversation, he's got to win an NCAA tournament game that's not in Dayton. That's all I'm saying. Which has not happened. It, he's got to show up in those moments. And, and that's got to be this year. There's no room for the first four this year. If you get a win in the first four this year, and that's all you got... That's yeah. The reason that's not good the, the reason you're 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 okay with it, not okay with it, but why you can swallow it last year is because you hope it was a building block to something more this year. I agree with you on that. If that if that's what ends up happening for this team, yeah, it's it's a failed season. And maybe you could argue last year's a failed season, but again, it, if your measuring stick is regardless of which team you are, but if your measuring stick in year what three of Coach Woodson is first four two year two if it's year two of Coach Woodson. If your expectation is national championship or bust, yeah, you're going to be let down. I don't think that's fair, and I know it's not. Yeah. I, to be clear, that's not. That, but that's to the why, people thinking, yeah, yeah, I just it's it's not fair. Um, that's not to diminish anything about the legacy of Indiana. The goal should but be to win. The problem is there are people like that. There are there thousand percent are. Uh, the goal should be to win. It should be to win at each checklist on the floor. And the goal to start the season was win the Big Ten. Could you still win the Big Ten tournament? Yeah. Sure. But winning the Big Ten, uh, Purdue's going to have to, like, like yes, this is a massive win, but regardless if you win or lose to Purdue, uh, the regular season title race is what it is right now. So th- that's why it gets tough for me, particularly in, in single elimination environments. But, I mean, that being said, Calvert Chaney, Damon Bailey, Isaiah Thomas, Steve Alford, like, Again, this isn't what this what we really want to do with this segment, but but there, there's a, such a, a long, rich lineage of Hoosiers that I have a hard time right now putting Trace Jackson Davis there. But he's is he a hell of a player? Absolutely. And does he have an opportunity in front of him tomorrow mm-hmm. to add another? Man, remember that one time when Trace dropped 35 against the Boilermakers and they beat him in Assembly Hall when they're the number one team in the country? Yeah, that's it's a massive opportunity for him tomorrow, and I think he's going to rise to the occasion. This is for a later conversation. If he is able to hang a Sweet 16 banner inside Assembly Hall... I mean, they don't do that, but yeah. Well, not individually. I understand what you mean. But if they have a Sweet 16 banner, and if they're able to put the year 2023 on it, that that would suffice in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. Look, it, I, I can't sit here and say that because I my goal of team... When I'm looking at team accomplishments, it's not fair, but that's always the standard. It's always going to be what could have, but that doesn't mean it can't be a successful season. Just to be clear, that doesn't mean it doesn't have to be a successful season. It's just for me to have it in a rarefied air or or, or really applaud it and fully celebrate it. Yeah, you're, you're spoiled as an Indiana fan. Look, I I, I root for the Yankees. Like, yes, it, it's a, a spoiled brat. I, I understand that. <laughs> it, 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 there, there are lines. You and I root for Notre Dame football. Like, yes. While I'm able to be a smart sports fan and look at last year for Notre Dame football and be like, yeah, they, is, did they win a national championship? No, but they won a bowl game. They achieved something. They achieved something to build off of. This is a point right now for Indiana and this current group of seniors that, okay, you made the first four last year. What do you do yeah. now with this season? What type of strides do you take? That's bigger picture. Small picture is knock the tar out of Purdue send them home with their second L of the season, and sure. go from there. They well, need to get into the upper quartile of the upper quartile. Thank you, season. Jim. Th- thank you, Mr. Ursay, for, for chiming no in today. We, we need Molnaro to, to say that first a little bit earlier. You could have played it. But no, I, I'm, I'm an outsider, Jimmy. I'll never be an Indiana Hoosiers fan because I didn't go there, and I don't have a rooting interest in them. I like talking about them. I like watching sure. them. It's fun. To me, an outsider perspective, if they add 2023 to their Sweet 16 banner this year, that's a step in the right direction. And that's a nice way for Trace Jackson Davis yeah. to go out. And again, you can have two separate 
mentalities there. You can be disappointed because they were they were. You probably would be disappointed. They, they, they were at the. And I know we got to take a break. They were at the top of a lot of different metrics and preseason rankings. And again, you throw those all out. They don't matter. But there was a lot of hype and maybe a little bit too much going into this season. And then you kind of recalibrate with the injuries they've had. But then you look at this four-game winning streak, and it's like, you play defense like that, how they did, because the Big Ten is still one of, if not the toughest conference in college basketball. You have a stretch like that where you put such a stranglehold defensively on teams. If you do that in March, that's a tournament run there. It is. Plain and simple. Do I do I want to see them excel against top-tier competition, like the tippy-top, which is what Purdue is right now? Yes. But there are at least enough pockets to this point in the season where I have faith they can make a deep run into March, and also why I have faith they can get the job done tomorrow against Purdue. Will it be easy? No. It'll be a, a down-to-the-wire type of game that I think Indiana ultimately wins. Here's my insider perspective. 2017, went to the Sweet 16 my senior year at Butler. I'll make this quick. We hung a Sweet 16 banner, or we added 2017 to the Sweet 16 banner at Hinkle. Happy? Yeah. At the moment, crying tears, because that was the last Butler game I ever watched as a student. North Carolina walloped us. That was the year we swept Xavier, swept Villanova. It was the best chance for Butler to get back to the Final Four since they did it in 2011. Chris Holtman's best year before he left for Ohio State. We got walloped by North Carolina. Joel Berry killed us. Luke May killed us. Andrew Shrabish didn't show up. Keith and Savage didn't show up. None of Butler's important players showed up that game. Disappointed? Absolutely. Should we have gone farther? That's a Final Four team in my mind. North Carolina killed us. But happy at the end of the day that we saw the Sweet 16 get added to it, Hinkle? Absolutely. That's Brandon King. I'm Jimmy Cook. We're going to take our final break. We come back, we'll hand out some bets to close the weekend and final predictions on the front of number one Purdue against number 21 Indiana. Bets and picks after this on The Fan. Closing out the week, Pacers-Kings coverage at 6.30 here on The Fan. Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, Eddie Gill, Eddie White a little bit later on. After Eddie White and Eddie Garrison finish up with the world's greatest postgame show, you'll hear the great Bob Lovell on Indiana Sports Talk at 10.30. All the scoreboard updates for you. Right now, though, with the bets, Jimmy, what you got? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. We're just going to keep it simple with today's plays. We were right there on the doorstep last night, but ultimately the Lakers power through. Knock off your Pacers that you've heard a couple times, 112 to 111. I think they bounce back and get it done tonight. I'm going to take the Pacers to one of the money line, unless for some reason Tyrese Halliburton doesn't play, but I, I'm... I'm pretty confident he will. Yeah, so am I. Uh, So in that same vein, another bet that relies on Halliburton, I'm going to take him over 20 and a half total points tonight against Sacramento. Those are my picks. Uh, Oh, and two yesterday. Uh, Jock couldn't get that extra three or four points against the Cavs. Puts us at three and five on the week. Gentlemen, what do you have? All revenge game parlay. Yes. All bets are not posted yet on my particular sports book, but when they are, over Tyrese Halliburton points. Over Buddy Heald points. Over DeMontis Sabonis points. Give it all revenge. Let's go. Everybody, you get revenge. You yeah. get revenge. Uh, I don't have Heald, but I, like I said, Halliburton's 20 and a half. Uh, Sabonis, 21 and a half are your point totals there. Nothing yeah, they haven't posted Buddy, Buddy yet. They're scared. 
<laughs> quivering in their books for Pacers Kings on a Friday night on the sports books. They're throwing out what color is the Gatorade of the Super Bowl, but they're terrified of <laughs> yeah. Buddy Heald on, on a Friday. They already have that. Uh, I, DraftKings actually doesn't have it. I, okay. I I just threw them there. They have uh, uh, odd or even first touchdown jersey number. Uh, there are all sorts of props out there yes, already, but that's the most. Random I do have a play tonight in this game, by the okay, way. Okay, go, 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 go. What you got? Uh, I'll take DeMontis Sabonis under eight and a half assists. Ooh. Uh, the hit rate already is 38 of 48 on the year. Uh, if you're looking on the under, if the over, that's 10 of 48, so that's a 21%. And yes, you know, De'Aaron Fox is out, but it actually benefits the under. DeMontis Sabonis has yet to reach the nine assist plateau this year. And a handful of games without Fox and dating back to last year since becoming a king, he's done that in four of 16 games mm. on the over. So I like Sabonis. I think this will be an, an opportunity for Pacers defense to kind of key on him. Can't wait for Sabonis v. Miles for the, I think the first time. I can't remember if Miles played or not in Sacramento, but it is the Sabonis return to Indianapolis tonight. Revenge game. All right, so here's the question for you. You just talked about Super Bowl Gatorade. What do you bet on the coin toss? I was Joanna, who was on the YouTube chat today. I was telling her the other day, you always got to bet tails. Yeah, tails never fails. Always got to bet tails. And you always need to bet for a kickoff return, not a touchback. Why? So there's been some studies. There's about always this. a touchback. No, there's not. More times than not, it's actually a return because these balls are not roughed up. Yes, before, no, that, that, that's a real thing. Before the first yep. of the game, yep. so it's always more firm. It's Pat a ceremonial McAfee, football. Yeah, it's done it. Yes, yep. Pat McAfee's talked about it. It's a lot firmer. Uh, last year they did do a touchback, but I don't think about it. I don't think there will be this year. If Kansas City's returning, Pacheco likes to return it. Well, hold on. let's think about. Yes, let's think about the kickers. Bucker. Here's a Bucker's got a leg. And then who Jake Elliott? Yeah, they're both actually They're both good. Yeah, but they're both right in the middle in terms of touchback percentage, ironically. I know the game's indoors, but still, I kind of I like the return. It's plus 140. A thousand points if somebody can tell me what this is cuz I always forget every year and I have to Google it. A thousand it. points as in the game 500. <laughs> mystery box. Dead or alive. This is not a mystery box. This is straight up a thousand points. Yes, indeed. Uh will there be an octopus in the game? Can you tell me what an octopus is? Because I always forget, and I just had to look it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. Oh. It's not the Detroit Red Wings octopus. No. <laughs> Do you know that they throw an octopus on the ice every game? I did not. Yeah. So you don't know what an octopus is, then? No. Okay, I mean, I was asking. Oh, I was no, asking I'm you, sorry. I have, I have no but, idea. Sorry. Okay, so it is when the player that scores a touchdown also scores the ensuing two-point conversion. Plus 1,400. Can you say that's it one the more most. time? It's when the player that catches the touchdown pass or scores the touchdown then scores the two-point conversion. Has that ever happened? I'm sure. There are, well, limited. There's only been 175 Actually, you instances know in NFL history since 1994. That's I'd, when the two-point conversion was added. I'd feel decent about that with Kelsey. Yeah. Because that's all that's how they get Mahomes you. throws to. That's and, how they get you. Well, yeah, but that's all Mahomes throws to in the red zone at times. Yeah, I mean, that's... He's a favorite target. I'm not yeah. going to argue that. Other people have caught balls. Drake McKinnon said a nice. Jimmy Roy Hibbert wants to know if he can do his taxes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Somebody in the chat named yeah. Roy Hibbert asked my. No, I'm not no, accountant. Yeah, Roy Hibbert I, I is a big part of the tax. chat today. I could not. I could not use help you do your taxes. Special thanks to Eddie Gill, Kevin Bowen, Joy Molinero. Uh, final thoughts: IU wins tomorrow, guys. We got like 10, 20 seconds. Uh, Jordan, if Jordan Durano plays, IU wins. If he does not play, Purdue wins. Uh, Purdue is winning either way, in my opinion. 
All righty. Honesty there from Eddie. Honesty all around. Again, I'm back on the Hoosiers, but we'll monitor Brendan's pick as well. Been a really fun week. Enjoy Indiana-Purdue. JMV is next. We'll talk to you on Monday.